Closing time. Every new beginning comes from some other beginnings. And bro, how do you feel about our oh, last man. episode this of Game of Thrones? It. This is it. Yeah. Is that the same song? It's like I know who yes. I want to take me home. It's exactly the same song. Ah, man. Bro, I just thought it was so fitting because we're. We're closing out on our first big major arc here today, bro. Yeah, it's great. You know, that reminds me of that movie, um, isn't it Friends with Benefits, where Justin Timberlake sings mm. that song? He's like, Third Eye Blind. It's like, no, it's semi-sonic. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes, that's exactly it. Was that was that when he did the um, the Flash Mob? Yeah, with, the Flash with Mila Mob. Kuna. Was that Dude, that one? Yeah, Mila that's good stuff. Yeah, that was a good movie, man. That's Dude, awesome. This is, uh, it's almost a bit emotional today. Yeah, we've been on that ride. Dude. This ride, this is the last one, and like, you know, uh, kind of how we do every single week. Just a quick recap of last week, Chase. You know, he, he gave you gave your big final rewrite as if the entire se- like series was ten seasons with ten episodes per season. So would you rock season eight, nine, and ten? Right? Yeah, it was yeah. Um, one little fix of season seven, mm-hmm. uh, where you know it was different with them going beyond the wall yeah yeah uh and then it was yeah it was pretty cool um actually that uh if it's easier for you guys because i know that was a bit long oh right right yeah. you're about to tell me like, because correct me if i'm wrong but you actually typed up your entire script and put it on the yeah, site yeah that right? was a beast on its own yeah <laughs> yeah guys you know honestly that, that was a really good idea that you had so you know if you were listening to the podcast if you wanted to hear again and catch some of the good details but it's just tough because of the length of it chase actually wrote out the entire script uh 400 plus pages long and it's yeah. on our it's on our site right i gotta give josh you credit too on this man because josh is a big reader so he's he gave me the idea he's like you know if you could like type it up so like people can like kind of take it with them a lot of times like even if they're going to the pool or something this summer that'd be cool and uh so yeah i just you know like it's one of those things where you don't realize how much work <laughs> goes into it and then yeah. you get stuck in it i'm like well at least like it's out there for everybody so it's it, i was glad i did it and um you know I'm, I'm one thing i'm stoked about today is we get to hear uh jay nelly's perspective <laughs> coming out here yeah and, and to that point uh today because kind of like what you were saying you have some small fixes of season seven and going in uh, myself, I did some very small fixes, even as far back as the last couple episodes of season six. Uh, I rewrote almost the entirety of season seven. I think I left like the first two episodes pretty much the same. Then I wrote the remainder of season seven, and then also my my season eight. But I wrote season seven as if it had seven episodes, and season eight as if it had six episodes, kind of like what we saw on screen. Just uh, what I would have liked to see when I think would have made more sense overall. So. I don't know, man. Do you think I should just jump right in and, and get I it going? I think you should jump into it. I'm I'm looking forward to some of the the shocker moments, man. I think it's you had me already with the whole, you know. Uh, I don't know if people forget, but remember we did our like yeah. one season, like season eight rewrite. That was kind of like a preview for right. Like this is like that was the opening act. Like this is like our headliner moment <laughs> kind of thing. So for sure, bro. So what do you say we give him uh, one last malice in the chalice to start our episode oh, for Game of Thrones yeah. and. Get him just uh, fuck him till we're dead, baby. Bang, yeah. I think we destroyed this Game of Thrones until mm. it was dead, man. <laughs> as, as, as emotional as it is, I'm kind of excited to get through it. I feel like <laughs> the real Lord of Bones now. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's all that's left of us is all bones left, man. It's, Jeez, it's been. I think this has been 
and I'll like get into it, but this has been there's a reason why we had never seen anyone take on this challenge before. <laughs> and it is cool though cuz despite all the long nights, <laughs> literal long nights that we've had, yeah. yeah. No kidding. Um it you know, it's been worth it because we've been able to do something really no one's ever done the way we've done before. Yeah, and you know, we put together what they took uh, a year and a half, almost two years to do in real life, and we did it in a couple of weeks. So, yeah, that's where uh, I have a problem. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm, let me just go ahead and like jump right dive in, in there, man. and yeah. uh, we'll start. Because, you know what? <clears throat> I am going to start here. This is going to be kind of like season six, episode eight, uh, with your girl Aria, man. Yeah, let's do it. So, where I start with this rewrite, I really have it starting where after Aria kills the waif Jacken follows the trail of blood into the hall of faces he looks up and sees that it's the waif's freshly peeled face added to the hall and not Arya's as he expected and so kind of like in the actual show that we saw Arya appears behind him just as she did in the actual show and she says to him while holding needle to his back pretty much the same exact dialogue right you told her to kill me Jacken turns to face her and he replies yes but here you are, and there she is, gesturing to the wave's face. So then Jacken moves so that Needle's kind of pointing him straight into the chest where his heart is, just like in the show. And Arya, at this point, this is where it gets a little bit different. Arya looks up at a face in the hall that she had spotted earlier while mounting the wave's face in the hall, and she asks Jacken, where did you get that face? Jacken looks up and sees which face that she is referring to. He gives a sly, knowing smile and says, The faceless men pay an exorbitant fee for the faces of kings. Arya replies, Well, I've paid an even higher price to be standing here before you, all while she holds the sword to his chest and never moves it. Jacken replies, Yes, you have. Finally, a girl is no one. Arya says back, a girl is Arya Stark of Winterfell, and I'm going home. She looks up at the face that caught her attention earlier, and I'm taking that face with me. She pokes Needle deeper into Jacken's chest without piercing him. Jacken gives Arya the slightest smirk, and then he nods, and Arya leaves the house of black and white. So very, very similar, but you guys are going to notice where I snuck this face in here pretty soon. So that really ends Season 6, Episode 8. Now, season six, episode nine, the Battle of the Bastards, happens just as it did in the show. I've gotten, I didn't write any sort of fixes to that. And now we go into season six, episode ten. Uh, it, for me, it happens just as it did in the show, up until fifty minutes and two seconds in, where Walder Frey is sitting in his great hall waiting for his food. The serving girl brings Walder his meal. It's either mutton pie or kidney pie, whatever it was. And Walder Frey asks her, You're not one of mine, are you? <laughs> and she replies, No, my lord. To which Walder says, Didn't think so. Too pretty. And he slaps her backside with his hand like he did in the show. And she gives like a helpless and violated look, but she doesn't say anything because she's just a serving girl. And Walder Frey is the lord of the twins and Riverrun at this point, right? So Walder continues on. Where are my damn moron sons? Black Walder and Lothar promised to be here by midday. 
Walder Frey demands, and the, the servant girl replies, I don't know, my lord. To which Walder says, Well, go and find them, you useless wench. Bring them to me and don't come back until you do. So the servant girl hurries out of the great hall. Her footsteps echo in the distance. No sooner than when her footsteps fade, Walder hears footsteps coming back to where the serving girl just left. So irritated, Walder Frey shouts, Damn you, girl! Are you soft in the head? Do I need to beat the senses into you? He starts to turn around. He says, I told you not to come back un... And he pauses, because as he turns to face the person who the footsteps belong to, Walder goes pale in the face and is speechless. You can see the fear in his eyes. Hello, Lord Frey, says the familiar voice. Who do you think it is? I was thinking Arya Stark. <laughs> well, kind of, but remember, I had her take a face from the Hall of Faces. Who do you think it is? She took the wave? I mean, the wave is dead, though. <laughs> I'll get you up. He's facing, he comes face to face with Rob Stark. Oh, shit, no way. See, I wasn't expecting that at all. No way, that's insane. That is epic, man. That is badass. Walder Frey is opening and closing his mouth, trying to find his voice. Rob says, What's the matter, Lord Frey? You look as if you'd just seen a ghost. Walder starts stammering and trying to scramble away from Rob. Rob says, I suppose your reaction is to be expected. Your sons had a very similar one. Walder Frey gra gasps and says, No, this isn't possible. I watched you die. I saw my men remove your head. And Rob replies, Yes, you did. And now it's my turn to remove yours. Oh, and Rob grabs Walder by the hair, yanks his head back, and cuts Walder Frey's throat. And as the blood is spurting out of Walder's throat, Rob throws Walder's body on top of the table with his head just off the edge. And as Walder Frey is choking and, and grabbing at his throat, trying desperately to breathe, Rob pulls out, pulls out a broadsword, looks down at Walder Frey, and says, The North remembers. And in one fluid motion, swings his sword down and lops off Walder Frey's head. That's insane. Arya Stark insane. removes Rob's face as she looks at the carnage she created in front of her. Walder Frey died thinking Rob Stark came back from the dead and killed him. That thought brought a smile to Arya's face as she collected Walder Frey's severed head and put it in her bag of faces. She walks out of the Great Hall, immensely pleased, feeling a song, strong sense of satisfaction. The debt had finally been repaid. So guys, why this is plausible and possible is nobody ever found out or knows what happened to Rob's body or head after the Red Wedding. So when Walder makes a statement about how he saw his men remove Rob's head, Arya with Rob's face on says she knows because remember, Arya arrived at the twins with the hound and actually saw Greywind's body or Greywind's head sewed onto Rob's body. So she already knew that the the head was removed, right? So that's how she knows that that was removed. But remember what I said earlier about Arya and Jacken in the house of black and white. You know, Jacken says we pay an exorbitant fee for the faces of kings. Rob was king in the north. So this explains why, also why Arya demanded it. Like she saw it up there, right? It's her brother. She's taken it with her, and she uses it against Walder Frey to put a. Like, imagine, imagine that happening to you. You know, you just see like a ghost of a person that you killed years ago, 
and he comes back to kill you, right? And this will also explain why Rob's face is actually on the DVD box set of the of the show. Because we were talking about that a couple days. Like, why is Rob's face not? He's been long dead since season three. Like, why is he on season six's box? So that kind of pulls it all together on how it can make sense. The, the faceless men paid the phrase, or at least someone transporting Rob's head to Joffrey. Because remember, Joffrey wanted to feed Rob's head to Sansa at the feast. So along the way, either between the phrase or the people transporting Rob's body in, in my head, the faceless men paid them a bunch of money and took Rob's face to the Hall of Faces. And so the remainder of the season six, episode 10, stays the same as it did. And that will conclude season six for me. But wouldn't that have been a way better way to introduce it like to Walter Frey? Like a serving girl killing him is like, okay. But like imagine it being Rob Stark walking through that damn door and he just doesn't know what happened. We're like, what the fuck's happening too? That would be terrifying. <laughs> is what that would be. Took his face from the Hall of Faces. Unbelievable. So... That right there ends my season six, like, small changes that I would have had. For me, that makes it more climatic uh, and kind of even more personal, right? So now I'm going to go into a little bit about the changes I have for season seven. For the first couple episodes, a lot of it stays the same, but I'm going to point out key moments that will come up later through my actual rewrite going on here. So season seven, episode one. Everything happens in Season 7, Episode 1, as it did in the actual show. Up until the Brotherhood Without Banners with the Hound, they arrive at the farm where the Hound injured the farmer and left him and his daughter to die while taking the farm of silver. Remember when that happened? The difference in my rewrite is that when Thoros and Beric have the Hound look into the fire, instead of the Hound seeing the wall and the arrowhead mountain beyond the wall, the Hound actually sees Daenerys Targaryen and her ships sailing to Dragonstone with her three dragons flying overhead. And so Beric tells them that that's where they need to go. Instead of going to Eastwatch, like in the show, they head to the south towards Dragonstone. One other part in episode one of season seven here that's going to be a key factor is do you remember when uh, Jamie and Cersei are arguing in the map, map room and Cersei says she's the queen of the seven kingdoms and Jamie says three at best? Right. Right? So I actually did a little... I was always wondering what the three kingdoms he was referring to were. So I did a little bit of research. And it must be the Westerlands, the Riverlands, and the Stormlands. Because that's the only logical explanation and explains how they're still surrounded on all sides by their enemies. You know, the north, obviously to the north. Highgarden, southwest. Dorne, full south. And Dragonstone, full east. So that would only that'd be how it could explain those are the three that they must have control over. So... Now I go into seven, Season 7, Episode 2. These are key moments that are going to come up later. These actually happened in the real show, but I'm going to remind you of them so when you hear this later on, it comes full circle. So in the real show, Varys tells Danny that Cersei controls fewer than half of the Seven Kingdoms and the Lords of Westeros despise her, solidifying that interaction between Jaime and Cersei, what we just talked about in, in Episode 1. Also, what comes up later to play, Melisandre advises Danny to summon Jon Snow. Tyrion does convince Danny to invite John, but as you know in the show, she says, "Yeah, you know he can come, but he's got to come bend the knee, right?" Then also in the real show, another key moment: Jamie convinces Randall Tarly to fight for the Lannisters. Because remember, Randall Tarly was actually uh, committed to House. Um, I can't think of the name of it. Uh, Tyrell. Mm-hmm. He was committed to House Tyrell. 
and um, so he basically had to pretty much betray the, the person that he's you know known his whole life and that was a big point because remember in season seven that's when they gave that you know he gave that speech to jamie randall did he was mm-hmm. like you know where you know we don't betray our yeah. houses and odes <laughs> we don't kill people at weddings that, yeah exactly, exactly. Yeah. yep <laughs> so now this is actually going to come up real big here season seven episode two continued in the real show danny holds a war council with yara the sand snakes and Olena. One big quote that Yara says is, if you want the Iron Throne, take it. We have an army, a fleet, and three dragons. We should hit King's Landing now, hard, with everything we have. The city will fall within a day. Then Tyrion, remember he says something trying to like backtrack them off that topic, and that's when Ilaria, she says, it's called war. If you don't have the stomach for it, scurry back into hiding. And that's when Danny's like, hey, you know what? He's my hand. Better respect him. Like, you know, we're all friends here, right? Then Olena, she takes part, stays like front and center here and says, commoners, nobles, they're all just children, really. They won't obey you unless they fear you. So this is when Tyrion comes up with a plan for the army to be Westerosi, right? He comes up with a plan that, hey, listen, Yara and Theon and our Greyjoy fleet's going to go to Dorne, bring the Dornishmen back. Uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to take there and then also... You know, High Garden's gonna come, and they're gonna they're gonna basically box in. You know, Dragonstone, High Garden, and Dorne are gonna box in King's Landing, and that's gonna be a Westeros army instead of using the Dothraki and Unsullied. So that way, the people of King's Landing will will you know stay with them. So, Danny then talks to Olena alone. Olena says, "Will you take a bit of advice from an old woman? He's a clever man, your hand. I've known a great many clever men. I've outlived them all. You know why?" I ignored them. The lords of Westeros are sheep. Are you a sheep? No. You're a dragon. Be a dragon. And this is actually going to change Danny's mind after her, the first failure that we're going to talk about here pretty soon, where Yara and the Sand Snakes get ambushed by Euron. She's not going to make the same mistake twice like she did in the real show. Now, another quick change here as well from Season 7, Episode 2. Arya stops at Hot Pie's Inn with plans of going to King's Landing. He tells her that he thought she'd be going to Winterfell because he tells her how Jon Snow won Winterfell and the North back from the Boltons. But in my rewrite, instead of changing her mind and going to Winterfell, Arya still decides to go to King's Landing as intended. And then as and then in Season 7, Episode 2 in the real show, Jon receives a letter from Sam and learns that Dragonstone sits on a mountain of mag- dragonglass. And Jon addresses the Lords of the North and tells him that he was invited by Tyrion to go and meet them, and he's going to do it. You know, uh, he like they all give him like the whole like bunch of shit, like get mad at him sort of deal. But he's like, listen, you know, we need allies, powerful allies. So he's going to try to like persuade Danny to fight alongside them against the army of the dead. And Jon leaves the North and Sansa's hands until he returns. Now, continued on, this is where. Some of the rewrite begins, but this still has a little bit of the actual show in it. In season seven, episode two continued. Arya camps out, headed like 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 in the actual show, she's camped out heading north and has a run in with her direwolf Nymeria. In my rewrite, instead of Arya uh, trying to convince Nymeria to go north or south with her, she presses her head against Nymeria's and feels the mental connection. Because remember in the books. There's a big stuff about the Starks and being able to be wargs with their wolves. 
and that never comes up again in the show in real life. So just to kind of tease her right there, she feels a mental connection, and Arya tells her, a time may come in desperation when I need you. Will you answer the call when that day comes? And Nymeria licks Arya's cheek in response. Now as we close out Season 7, Episode 2, this is basically everything happens as it did in the actual show. Euron attacks Yara and Theon and the, their Greyjoy fleet on the way to Dorne. So right, they don't get to Dorne, they attack them on the way to Dorne, right? So the Dornish army never are on the ships, they never are on their way back. It's them going to Dorne to get them, they get ambushed, right? Euron destroys them, kills Obara and Nymeria, takes Tyenne, Ilaria, and Yara captive. Theon does his jump overboard bullshit. And this is Tyrion's first part of his plan. So when Varys goes to Dragonstone in the throne room while Jon and Danny are having their first icy encounter with each other, and Varys tells her to dismiss them because he has grave news, she dismisses Jon and Ser Davos, and Varys tells her what happened to the fleet en route to Dorne. At this point, she takes Olena's advice. She calls off the planned assault on Casterly Rock, Instead of taking it with the Unsullied and getting them fucked and stranded over there, she doesn't. She learns from the mistakes she made by listening to Tyrion, and she takes Lena's advice, and that's going to come up here shortly. But she calls off the assault in Casterly Rock, and she realizes she needs to negotiate with Jon because Cersei wouldn't expect an alliance with the North, and it would still be a Westerosi army. So now she's got a way to replace the Dornish with the Northmen, if she's able to negotiate well. <laughs> All right. Now, this is full rewrite now. So that was just the key moments that were leading up. There were some small changes in there. But now this is full rewrite. Season 7, Episode 3. Good stuff, man. The following day, Danny begins to put her plan in motion. She summons Jon Snow back before the Dragonstone throne. And instead of it being Tyrion who comes up with the idea to allow Jon to mine the Dragonglass, it's Danny. Danny says, I have come to a decision, Jon Snow. I will allow you to mine the dragon glass. And Jon replies, Thank you, Your Grace. Danny interjects, If you pledge to bring the Northern Army down and help me defeat Cersei. Keep in mind, she needs to replace a Dornish who are no longer coming due to Euron Greyjoy's ambush. Everybody in the throne room looks taken aback. Jon says, Your Grace, with respect, your war with Cersei is not our war. I will not have my people die over who sits on the Iron Throne when the enemy, the real enemy, is to the north. We don't have the numbers to fight the army of the dead as it is, and to further deplete our own army by fighting your war, we would stand no chance at all. Danny replies, I understand your concern, which is why, if you help me defeat Cersei, I will pledge to use my armies and my dragons to help you and your people fight alongside fight alongside you against this army of the dead. John considers this for a moment and says, Your Grace, there is not enough time. We cannot mine the Dragonglass, transport it to Winterfell, convince the Northern Lords to fight a Southern War, call the Banners, march south, fight, and then march back to fight the Night King and his army. It's impossible. To which Danny says, which is why we will be making our stand against this dead army of yours at King's Landing. Dragonstone is much closer to King's Landing than Winterfell, so transporting the Dragonglass from here to King's Landing will be far easier and quicker than transporting it to Winterfell. All you would need to do is return north as fast as time allows and convince the northern houses and lords 
and march them south. Once we defeat Cersei, your people can properly rest and recover without having to march back north, and they will be fed from the stores of King's Landing, not using your own provisions as my thanks for their role in assisting me reclaim the Iron Throne. John is bewildered and shoots back with, Are you mad? Do you know what the North has been through? What it took to take our lands back from our enemies? Now you expect me to convince them to abandon their homes they just fought and died for. They denounce me as their leader and probably execute me for treason as they should. Daenerys asks him, Do you think you can defeat the dead with the men you have and without my dragonglass or without my armies or without my dragons? John replies, No, I don't believe I can. Probably not with the men that we have now, but without your dragonglass, we don't stand a chance. Danny says, Well, then that should make your choice very easy. For if you refuse my terms, you will get no assistance from me. You will not be able to mine the dragonglass. And that should be enough to convince your northern lords. They either help me or die against the army of the dead. Outraged, John begins to storm out. But then he has an idea. Your grace, I have a proposal. If I convince the northern lords and the houses to come south and help you defeat Cersei and force them to abandon their homes when the army of the dead marches south to make the stand at King's Landing, I ask that if we survive these two wars, that you allow the north its freedom and independence from the seven kingdoms to rule and govern itself outside of any influence from you and your kingdom. The great joys requested their independence, which you granted. The North will be sacrificing much more than them for your cause. Their homes will be destroyed, and they will have to rebuild them since you refuse to help defend them. Moreover, I believe this is the only reward I could use to convince the North to give up their homes and lands to march south and fight for you. After all my people have been through, and what they will have to go through in the near future, the North deserves its freedom and independence. Danny considers this for some time, and eventually says, I refuse to be the tyrant my father was as king. Your love for your people is admirable, and your logic is sound. I accept your proposal. John breathes a sigh of relief. It was a good compromise on both sides. But it's not over. But, Danny exclaims, before I agree to grant the North its independence, I need to verify the threat that you speak of is even real. I will not lose one of my kingdoms just to help me take King's Landing, which I could do with the armies I have now. I'd prefer Westeros to see that the kingdoms of this country would fight for me and not Cersei to make ruling this land easier, but it's not necessary. So once we beat Cersei and I take the Iron Throne, you and I, Jon Snow, will fly on my dragons north of the Wall to see that the Night King and the Army of the Dead actually exist. If they do, and, you're hold, and you hold your end of the deal and make our stand against them at King's Landing and we survive, you have my word I will grant the North its independence. Do you agree to these terms? Jon Snow replies, I do your grace. Danny says, good. Now you best return north with haste. If the threat you speak of is real, we do not have much time. My men here will begin to mine the dragonglass in your absence. Jon Snow says, thank you, your grace, and turns to Sir Davos. Ready our ship, we must leave at once. And once they leave the room, Tyrion turns to Daenerys and says, this solves our issue of losing the Dornish army, and you made an ally happy. Well done. Now, after we take Casterly Rock as planned with the Unsullied, we'll have Cersei surrounded on all sides. Danny looks at Tyrion and says, We are not taking Casterly Rock as planned. 
Tyrion looks confused and says, Your grace, I don't understand. Dan replies, Our enemies outsmarted us once already by ambushing the Snandsakes and the Greyjoys en route to Dorne. I am not giving them the opportunity to do so again. Tyrion asks, Then what will you do? Danny replies, Be a dragon. And that's the end of Season 7, Episode 3. Epic. That's awesome. Dude, it's going to get stuff, real, man. real dirty. So now, Episode 4 opens with Jamie Lannister leading the Lannister army to Highgarden with Randall Tarly, Bronn, Dickon, and the rest of the Tarly forces. The difference is the Unsullied aren't trapped at Casterly Rock because Danny called an audible. So in, in Jamie's mind, he thinks he's outsmarted Danny like he did in the actual show. But he doesn't know that Danny called an audible. So Jamie is expecting to take Highgarden with relative ease since he's marching with the Lannister and the Tarly army. When Highgarden comes into view, Jamie's insides turn cold and all blood rushes from his face. Because Bronn looks at Jamie's pale face and asks, What the fuck is your problem? <laughs> he turns and follows Jamie's line of sight with his own eyes and then he sees the problem. Guarding the walls of Highgarden are the Unsullied Army. Oh shit. Jamie realizes he made a mistake abandoning Casterly Rock and that Danny outsmarted him. Jamie starts running up and down the lines of their army, shouting, Retreat back to the rock! Retreat! Randall Tarly doesn't yet know what's going on, and asks Jamie, Why are we retreating? Jamie yells back, They were ready for us! <clears throat> Randall Tarly looks over the crest and sees the unsullied army marching towards them. He then joins Jamie in calling the armies to retreat to Casterly Rock. As they turn their forces around, retreating from the unsullied, the ground begins to shake. What is that? Randall Tarly asks. Bronze shouts, listen, and they all fall silent. They begin to hear shrieking in the distance. Not minutes after, do they see the Dothraki army charging them from the front now. They're caught in between the Unsullied from the rear and the Dothraki to the front. Ass to mouth. Fucking like a hammer <laughs> and an anvil. The sword between the hammer and dude. That is awesome. Bron yells, they're going to fucking swamp us. Jamie and Randall Tarly try to form lines on both sides as they are shouting instructions. They hear a loud screech from the sky. Danny flying on Drogon appears from the clouds. So the Lannister and Tarly army is fucked here, bro, because not only do they have Unsullied coming from the back, Dothraki coming from the front, <laughs> they got Drogon coming from the top. Because keep in mind, what, they, what, did, what did they do at Casterly Rock? They took all the stores, so when they, they took over, like, in Jamie's mind, if they took Casterly Rock, the enemies, if Danny and them took Casterly Rock, they couldn't hold it because there was no food, stores, or grain. So they, they're transporting all of, the, all of that right now. So they're caught in between Unsullied, Dothraki, with just their army, and they've got a transport of stuff that they're trying to get you know just not let anyone use so that way they could basically clash you the rock would be a ghost town well it's a slaughterhouse <laughs> <laughs> so there's sandwiched between two of the fiercest armies in the world caught by complete surprise as the army battles below danny and drogon rain fire down on the supply wagon to which have the food stores taken from casterly rock which is intended to make it so whoever did take casterly rock couldn't hold it as she's raining down fire on the supplies Jamie orders Bronn to use a scorpion and try to take down Drogon. Bronn is pursued by the Dothraki and somehow makes it to the scorpion in time to put a bolt through his pursuer. He then reloads and attempts to hit Drogon. And just kind of like in the Spoils of War episode, his first bolt misses. Danny sees a scorpion and flies Drogon towards it to destroy it. Bronn stays patient, waits till the time is right, 
and Drogon's right in front of him, ready to shoot fire and incinerate him. Just as the fire begins to build in Drogon's mouth, Bronn releases the bolt and hits Drogon point blank in the shoulder, causing Drogon to recoil. Drogon re-steadies himself and shoots fire down and destroys a scorpion as Bronn jumps just in time. The battle is lost. Jaime realizes as he looks around and sees barely any of his men still standing. He sees Danny land and try to pull a scorpion bolt out of Drogon's shoulders. So he decides to pick up a spear and charge Danny, attempting to end the war. As Jamie gets within striking range, Danny turns around in shock as she has no time to try and defend herself or move out of the way. Jamie lifts his spear, and Drogon turns his head and shoots fire right at Jamie point blank. But Bronn tackles Jamie out of the way into the river just in time. So from here, we cut to the north in Winterfell. Sansa's reading the letter John sent her saying that he was on his way back and they could expect John within the fortnight. Not much else was disclosed in the letter, which left Sansa visibly irritated by the lack of answers provided. Peter Baelish approaches Sansa and asks, What news from the king in the north? Sansa replies, None that concern you, Lord Baelish. And Baelish gives Sansa a sleazy smirk and says, command suits you my lady in fact i have on good authority that many of the northern houses may prefer your leadership to your brothers to which sandra replies and i have it on good authority that listening to you gets people hurt or killed and then baelish starts to reply <laughs> but sansa cuts him off no need to seize the last word lord baelish i'll assume it was something clever and walks off <laughs> so baelish goes down to bran's chambers he finds bran sitting there as if bran was expecting him they have that same interaction as in the real show when Baelish gives Bran the cat's paw dagger and Bran asks him if he knows who the dagger belonged to and Baelish lies and says no and that the same question is what started the War of the Five Kings. He goes on to talk about the chaos in the world and Bran recites that same line, chaos is a ladder. And So obviously Baelish, like, it's kind of awkward and it unnerves him. But then Mira enters the room and Baelish takes his leave. Mira Reed tries to tell Bran that she needs to leave and go to her family and help them prepare for the army of the dead. But remember, Bran can see everything, so he has an idea of what's coming back when Jon comes back to the north. Bran tells her, you are the only one that can speak for House Reed in regards to the upcoming war. Stay until Jon returns so you have all the necessary information to take home and present to your family. Mira agrees. I'm going to take a little sip real quick. <laughs> oh yeah, man. We cut to the Hound, traveling with Beric, Thoros, and the rest of the Brotherhood without banners. Now, I'm going to show you some good stuff here. You guys see, if you can't see because you're just listening through podcasts, I just pulled out the first book, uh, Game of Thrones. I'm going to show Chase here the map because I want you all to see I'm not just pulling this out of my ass. This is very plausible of what's going to happen. <laughs> so according to my research, the farmer's place was near Fair Market Inn. So you see Fair Market, not Fair I'm sorry, Fair Market, the inn's different. So Fair Market, the, the uh, farmer lives close to Fair Market. Now, why I'm pulling that up there, I just want you to keep that in mind. You see where Fair Market is? Right. Great. So, they're heading to Dragonstone because of the vision the Hound had in the fire at the farmer's house. They've been traveling since Season 7, Episode 1, and they have made it to the King's Road. Beric starts a conversation with the Hound. Clegane, tell us of your travel since we last parted after our trial by combat. The hound replies, you mean since I killed you? 
Barrett gives him a sly smirk and says, I'm still breathing, aren't I? And the hound looks at him, irritated, and replies, for some forsaken reason. When there is no response forthcoming, the hound continues, There's not much to tell. I kidnapped the Stark girl, intending to ransom her to her brother. We arrived at the twins in the middle of the Red Wedding. Barrett replies, You saw what happened that night? The hound's eyes went dark as he thought back to that night. Aye, we saw what happened. The girl saw her brother's body mutilated, the head of his direwolf sewn onto his headless shoulders, the phrase parading it around the courtyard. I tried to block her view, but she saw. We rode off before anyone could recognize us. Beric responds, Forgive me, Clegane. I didn't know. The hound snapped back, Forgive you for what? Life's a cold, hard bitch. Shit happens, especially in war. Beric nodded in silence, and the hound continued. From there, I tried to take her to her Aunt Liza in the Eyrie and ransom her there. I knew I wouldn't get as much, but at least it would be something. And what happened? Beric asks. The hound replied, When we got to the bloody gate, the gatekeeper told us Liza Aaron died three days before we got there. Beric smiled. Imagine that. It's almost as if fate wanted her to stay under your protection, Clegane. The hound spit at the ground. Fuck fate. Less than a fortnight later, a mammoth of a woman found us and tried to offer the girl her protection. Said something about making a vow to the girl's mother. I told the woman that she wouldn't be going with her. She drew her sword. I drew mine. She was a better fighter than you ever were, Dundarian. She got the better of me and knocked me off a fucking cliff. Broke, me, broke my leg to where the bone was sticking through the skin. And Beric then asks, Well, did the woman take the girl? The hound replies, No. The girl found me at the bottom of the cliff, took my money, left me to die. <laughs> Wouldn't even do me the courtesy of putting me out of my misery. <laughs> Beric gave a quick chuckle and said, I wonder where the girl is now. The hound replied, Probably dead. The stupid girl. Out of nowhere, an ominously familiar voice cuts through the air. Or maybe she's right behind you, Arya Stark replied. So, how is this plausible? Pull out my map, like Dora the Explorer, right? The Trident is where Hot Pies Inn. North of the Trident is where Hot Pies Inn is. So between them leaving near Fair Market, trying to get to the King's Road a couple days before Arya, it makes sense how they could have intersected right there on the right. King's Road. Do you see that? Easier. Yeah, no, definitely. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. So, and I know I just showed you him that on there, but to, <laughs> to put it in words, I'll tell you how it's possible. So, according to my research, Hot Pies Inn is just north of the Trident River. Since she was heading to King's Landing, she would have to take the King's Road as well. Now, the, the Hound and Brotherhood left a farmer's house headed to Dragonstone in Episode 1, allowing them to cover the distance between Fair Market in Episode 1 and allowing, uh, yeah, and, and the King's Road since they started first. Arya left Hot Pies Inn in late Episode 2, so even though she was closer to the King's Road, she left later, allowing them to all be in the same place at the same time. Alrighty. Now, we cut back to Winterfell with John finally arriving. Now, I want you to pay attention here, bro, because this is where we're going to start getting some, some fucked up shit going on. So, he wastes no time in calling a meeting to inform the Northerners of the deal that he's made. Originally, they're upset because they had just won the North back from the Boltons. But the John, John reminds them that it will mean nothing if they have to face the White Walkers alone, because they will lose and die. He also tells them that if they are successful, that they will be granted the right for the North to be a free and independent kingdom, free from any southern ruler 
which is what they have all wanted since Ned Stark lost his head and they proclaimed Rob Stark the king in the north. The, night, the North is divided over the issue, and Sansa herself is conflicted as well because of her experience of being a glorified prisoner at King's Landing. She doesn't want to go back to King's Landing, but this may be their only chance at being a free kingdom. So the Vale of Arryn and House Glover are opposed. House Mormont, House Umber, and House Karstark are in favor. Now keep in mind, they won't have to worry about running out of food because they'll be using King's Landing stores. Now... They call an, uh, like a, an adjournment to the meeting. And Baelish tries to be a weasel and turns Sansa against Jon. He tells her that she is better s suited to lead the North than Jon is. He tells her that the stronger houses support her claim and that if Jon Snow tragically died in an accident, the rest of the Northern houses would have no choice but to rally around her. So he gives Sansa a vial of poison, the same kind he used to kill Joffrey. Sansa takes the poison from Peter. They part ways and Sansa heads towards Jon's sleeping quarters. Now outside you see Bran sitting in his chair, seeing everything. The next day when they reconvene in the Great Hall, Sansa gets there before everyone else and pours the vial of poison into Jon Snow's wine glass. Oh shit, that's fucked up. <laughs> now, she arrives ahead of the rest of the Northerners and they get settled together. Bran arrives, wheels his chair next to Sansa. Little old Bran, wheeling the chair around. <laughs> wheels next to Sansa and stares at her. Jon enters, and the Northerners stand. Baelish catches Sansa's eye and almost imperceptibly nods. She looks away hurriedly. My lords, Jon addresses the Northern Houses. Today is the day we make our decision. Jon lifts his wine glass and is about to press it to his lips. Bran says, Jon... Do not drink it. Sansa has poisoned your wine. John oh, looks shit. taken aback. He says, Sansa, is this true? Sansa says nothing. San John says, Sansa, stand before the table and face these charges. Sansa, looking fearful, gets up from her seat, stands before John and all the northern houses. John looks at her and says, You have been charged with treason and attempting to murder your king. How do you answer these charges, Lord Baelish? Oh shit! So that's Johnny crazy. boy, that's yeah. insane. The room gasps. No way, that's insane, man. The room gasps, and we get a cutscene to when Sansa took the vial from Baelish and heads to Jon's sleeping quarters. She enters at Jon's request, and she tells him, "You know what, Jon? You are right. We should go south and make our last stand there." She also shows Jon the vial that Baelish gave her, and tells him that Baelish intended her to use it to poison him, the way Baelish and Olenna killed Joffrey. John, outraged, goes to confront Baelish, but Sansa stomps him. John, I have a plan, but it's going to take every ounce of concentration and cunning to pull it off. Baelish is smart, and he is sneaky. If he suspects anything, he will find a way to escape. We need to beat him at his own game. So John calms down and asks her, how do you propose we do this? She tells him that she'll go to the meeting early, put the poison in his cup. She explained that Bran saw her and Baelish's exchange and would probably could see what they're doing right now. So John, she tells John to pretend to take a sip and that Bran will stop him and accuse Sansa of treachery. She says that she will station Brienne at the exit door so Peter Baelish cannot escape. John will then formally begin to charge her, but at the last second directed charges at Baelish, and Sansa will testify that Baelish gave her the poison in an attempt to kill John. So he's fucked. All right. So now the scene cuts back to present time, and the Northerners are all staring at Baelish, who looks completely dumbfounded. 
Baylor says, I'm sorry, your grace. I do not understand. <laughs> and Sansa says, which of the charges confuse you? You came to me last night, gave me a vial of poison, intended me to use it in our king's cup so that I would have full control and support of the north once he died. Do you deny it? I deny it! <laughs> Baelish shouts. <laughs> Sansa replies, Okay, Lord Baelish, then you should have no issue drinking this glass of wine. Sansa approaches him with the cup. Baelish starts nervously looking around the room. Sansa gets to where Baelish is standing and offers him the cup of poison wine. He hesitates for a moment, slaps the cup out of her hands, causing it to crash to the floor, and he runs to the exit, only to find Brienne there, waiting with her hand on her sword, barring the way. Sansa says, Lady Brienne, please escort Lord Baelish out to the block. Oh, shit. With pleasure, your grace, Brienne replies to Jon Snow. She drags him outside with the rest of the northern houses following. Jon walks towards him at the executioner's block. Brienne ties Baelish down, and as Jon approaches, Jon unsheaths Longclaw and says, Before the eyes of gods and men, I, Jon Snow, king in the north, sentence you to die. If you have any last words, now is the time. Baelish cries out, Please, Lady Sansa, spare my life. I have ever been faithful to you in House Stark. I loved your mother just as I love you. I will never betray you or your family. To which Bran replies, You portrayed her father in the throne room. You had promised to help him. But when the time came, you put this dagger to his throat while the gold cloaks killed his men and told him, I did warn you not to trust me. John had heard enough. In one quick motion, he brought Longclaw up, swung it down, removing Peter Baelish's head, avenging Ned Stark's original betrayer. So he actually ended up getting vengeance on two people. So do you remember back in the actual show, bro, when Jano Slint, he was the um, the commander of the Gold Cloaks back in season one? Right. The one that was like, I'm not going there. You can't make me. Yeah. Right when he got yeah. uh, um, voted in to be the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. And then he took off Jano Slint's head. Yeah, I remember. He was like chopping it and it was getting hacked off. Oh, no, no. Thing. That was a clean, like, that was a different one. That was uh, Theon chopping Sir Roderick's Oh, okay, that's head. right. But I knew no, was one of the, when, when yeah, John was the Lord right. Commander of the Night's Watch and like, they voted him in and then he's, he said, he sends Jano Slint elsewhere and Jano's like you're not telling me where to go I'm yeah. not listening to you yeah, that's right. and then mm-hmm. like he turns into a little baby at the end like oh I'm so sorry I'll go and John's like yeah, too late boom no that was the one I was talking about because remember he was like you can shove it up your bastard ass right that's what that's yeah. the one he says but, oh okay like, like, there's gotcha, one yeah. quick swift motion of kill that the one oh that was okay gotcha was just Theon with yeah, Sir okay, Roderick gotcha. back in Winterfell but gotcha anyways so the reason I bring that up is because John has now got revenge on two people that betrayed his father mm-hmm. he cut off Jano Slint's head who betrayed him in the beginning and put his spears in his own people's that's back. That's pretty awesome. And he got revenge on Baelish. And so the difference there, guys, because remember, Arya is the one that killed Peter, but Arya is on her way to King's Landing in my rewrite, so John's the one that fucking kills Baelish. Pretty badass, huh? That is awesome. I love how you brought up, you know, that scene with Baelish and Ned. That's just, that was something I didn't even think of. That's awesome. That's yeah. Good stuff. You know, because like, uh, you know, it's ahead. Like he executed Baelish, who also betrayed Ned the same exact moment yeah. that Jano Slint betrayed it, because they mm-hmm. they planned it with Cersei in the City Watch. Yeah. So Sansa takes this moment now that Peter's dead, and says to the Northern Houses and the Lords, "My Lords and Ladies of the North, no one has more reason to avoid marching south than I do. But this is our chance. Let's set out and finish what Rob started and bring the Lannisters to justice." Let us go win our freedom from southern rulers to be our own and independent kingdom of the north. I stand behind John, our king in the north. 
And the rest of the North start chanting, King of the North! King of the North! King, King of the North! North. <laughs> King of the North! So John takes front and center stage right there and quiets the crowd. My lords and ladies of the North, I know I'm asking you to abandon your homes, and that's not a light thing to ask, but the reward is worth the risk, especially when the alternate is certain death. Call the banners. Bring every man, woman, and child from all the northern houses. We march to Dragonstone. Oh, shit. That's awesome. So now we cut back to Arya, face-to-face -face with the Hound and the Brotherhood Without Banners. Where in the seven hells did you come from, girl? The Hound asks. Arya replies, a very long way. <laughs> Beric then asks, where are you going? Arya says, to kill the queen. But nobody laughs because there is something very different about this girl than when they last saw her. Something dangerous. Thoros of Mir says, The Lord of Light has fated us to meet here, on the King's Road, all headed in the same direction. What business do you have in King's Landing? Thor and, uh, oh, I'm sorry. So, Thoros of Mir says, The Lord of Light has fated us to meet here on the King's Road, all headed in the same direction. And Arya asks, What business do you have in King's Landing? Thoros responds, we are not going to King's Landing. Not yet. The Dragon Queen has landed at Dragonstone. Clegane has saw it in the flames. And so that is where we are going. Arya says, well, my destination is King's Landing, not Dragonstone. To which the Hound says, you're going to fight the Kingsguard and the Royal Army yourself, are you? Arya responds, if I have to. <laughs> to which Beric says, you don't have to. The Dragon Queen will wage war on Cersei and King's Landing. She needs to if she wants to take the Iron Throne. Come to Dragonstone with us. Let us make friends of the Dragon Queen and learn of her war plans to take the city. Arya replies, You must think I'm stupid if you think I'm trusting you again after you lied to me and sold my friend to the Red Woman. Talking about how she sold Gendry back. Yeah. They sold Gendry to her back in the day. Beric responds, You have my apologies for that, but we were at war, and in war, hard decisions must be made. The Hound says, Cersei is on your list. You want to kill her, this is the best chance you have of getting that opportunity. If you're in the city and the Dragon Queen decides to lay siege, she has no idea who you are. If you are a friend or if you're a foe, you don't know when she'll attack the city or where. She could destroy the city with her dragons and buildings could collapse killing you without you ever being able to get the chance to get to Cersei. Come to Dragonstone and let's do this right. Arya considers this for a minute. Beric says, and by the looks of it, you have nothing to fear from us anymore. You seem as if you can handle yourself. Arya takes a few minutes and then mutters to herself of words that her father spoke. The lone wolf dies while the pack survives. So she looks up at them and says, <laughs> Fine, but I'm not doing the fucking cooking. And Rhea rides oh past God. them, chuckling behind her. <laughs> so now we cut back to Danny, rounding up the remaining surviving Lannister and Tarly soldiers. Uh, her own forces took barely any casualties. She lost about 20 men in total between the Unsullied and the Dothraki. The enemy before her, however, took thousands of losses and were down to little over uh, 100 left in total. She kind of gives that same speech she gives in the show about how Cersei's told him lies about her and how she's the merciful queen and that she'll allow them to bend the knee to live, but if they refuse, they will die. Just like in the show, Randall Tarly refuses to acknowledge Danny as the queen, will not bend his knee. His son Dickon also tells Danny that she will have to execute him too as he stands by his father. 
Tyrion again tries to provide alternate punishments, but Danny says they were given the choice to bend the knee or die, and they chose. So Drogon comes forward, Daenerys <laughs> says, Dracarys burns Dickon and Randall Tarly alive. The, they melt to ashes, and the remainder of the Tarly and Lannister forces bend the knee and submit to her. She has now taken Casterly Rock as a retreatable lo location from Cersei, so they can't go there because all the stores are destroyed. So if they destroy King's Landing, Cersei and whoever's left cannot retreat to Casterly Rock. They can't hold it. So she's done that. She burned the stores of food and grain that Jamie had taken, thinking that he had outsmarted her. Now, nobody can hold Casterly Rock for an extended time without food or grain or livestock. And she also still has the full power of High Garden. She took very little losses, but dealt heavy blows to the enemies uh, of her, the armies of her enemies. The North is marching south, and she is still using Dragonstone as her stronghold in the east. So, with High Garden coming from the southwest, the North coming straight down, and Dragonstone coming from the east, she has Cersei boxed in, with no means for Cersei to escape, and no allies that Cersei has left. And that ends season seven, episode four. Pretty badass. What do you think so far? Oh, it's great. Let's awesome. take a little sip here. Yeah, man. Now, season seven, episode five, opens with Bronn pulling Jamie out of the river. Bronn throws him on the bank and yells, What the fuck were you doing? Jamie replies, Ending the war. Bronn grabs him by the collar and says, You listen to me. Until I get what I'm owed, you don't get to die. The dragons don't get to kill you. You don't get to kill you. Only I get to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> and Jamie responds, You saw what that dragon can do. And she has two more. To which Bronn says, Oh, you're fucked. <laughs> and Jamie says back, Don't you mean we're fucked? Bronn says, No, I do not. <laughs> dragons is where our partnership ends. <laughs> Jamie considers for a moment and says, I have to tell Cersei. To which Bronn replies, you may as well jump back in the river. <laughs> so we cut over to Daenerys, who's since returned to Dragonstone. She's at the map table with her advisors, Tyrion, Varys, Grey Worm, Missandei, and Olenna. Danny addresses the room. We have depleted a good portion of our enemy's army. They can no longer retreat to Casterly Rock. I have stationed the Unsullied there. And High Garden has provided them the proper food and supplies to last out the coming conflict. We will start getting into position to box them in. High Garden will split their forces. Half of their army will go to Casterly Rock and march in on King's Landing from the west. The other half will march in on King's Landing from the south. When the northerners get here, I will have them split their forces uh, as well to attack from the north and come from the east. And then the other half will march in on King's Landing uh, from, the, from the north and from the east. So the people of King's Landing will see that they are boxed in on all sides by a Westerosi army that supports me as queen. And while that happens, I will fly with my dragons over Blackwater Bay and destroy their naval fleet. There will be nowhere to run, and Cersei will have no choice but to surrender. The advisors all nod in agreement, and Olenna says, A dragon indeed, nodding her approval. <laughs> Danny smiles. Just then, the commander of the Dothraki army approaches Danny and in his native tongue says, there is a man outside who claims he is a friend of yours. He even speaks a little of the Dothraki language. Danny's eyes light up when she realizes who it is. So she dismisses her counsel and goes outside and is delighted to see Jorah Mormont. Oh yeah. 
So remember, because like Sam cured mm-hmm. him back in see episode two of season with the, seven. Yeah, because of grayscale. So, you know, yeah. I didn't, yeah, that's, that wasn't part of my rewrite, so I'm just hoping you guys remember that that actually happened, right? <laughs> so Danny says, it's good to see you, old friend. You found a cure. To which Jory replies, well, I wouldn't be here if I hadn't. I return to you now to enter your service once more if you would have me, Khaleesi. Danny responds, it would be my honor. And they embrace each other in a warm hug. We now cut over to the Northern Army, making their way down the countryside. Jon Snow and Sansa at the head. Jon breaks the silence and says, The men are nervous. To which Sansa replies, As they should be. They remember what happened the last time they marched south with our brother. Jon says, This time is different. Back then, there were five kings waging war against each other. This time, it's the whole country of Westeros against Cersei. So then we cut over to Jamie entering Cersei's chamber. He tells Cersei what's happened and how they lost most of their army and gained nothing from it. How they were outsmarted and caught between two foreign armies and one dragon. He tells her, It's hopeless, Cersei. This is not a war we can win. To which Cersei says, So what do you suppose we do? Surrender? They'll kill us anyways. Jamie looks and says, We need to escape. Cersei replies, we have nowhere to escape to, and we are in tremendous debt to the Iron Bank. Because remember, they didn't get Highgarden's money, right. because mm-hmm. they're, they're still allowed. Spoils the war. Yeah, well, yeah. I'll just, yeah, that might yeah. little spoils yeah. the war. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, and we have no allies or sympathizers. No, we must fight. Our people know the city better than anyone. If we can kill the dragons, we may yet have a chance. Jamie responds, I'm telling you, as Lord Commander of the Kingsguard and a seasoned military man, we have no chance. Cersei looks at him coldly and says, Well, Lord Commander, you better get your armies and forces ready. <laughs> there is a war coming. So then we cut over to the Brotherhood Without Banners, the Hound and Arya arriving on Dragonstone. Danny and her advisor, uh, Missandei, Jorah, Tyrion, Varys, and Grey Room approach them. Missandei introduces Daenerys with all the proper titles. Beric is the one who starts the conversation. Your Grace, we are here to offer our services to your cause. Tyrion immediately interjects, Do not trust them, my queen. The one with the burnt face is called the Hound. The last time he fought at King's Landing, he was fighting for Cersei. The Hound replies, So were you, if my memory is correct. To which Tyrion says, Indeed I was. But unlike you, I didn't run away like a dog with a tail between my legs when the going got tough. Tyrion talking shit to the Hound, bro. (laughs) (laughs) The Hound angrily unsheaths his sword in response, and all of Danny's protectors get their weapons ready. Thoros places an arm in front of the Hound, backing him off, and says, I believe we've all made mistakes in the past, but the Lord of Light has brought us all together to make them right. Jorah recognizes him and says, Thoros of Mir, is that you? Thoros looks at him, and realization dawns on his face. Aye, Jorah Mormont. Danny turns to Jorah and says, You know this man. And Jorah says, yes, Khaleesi, I was there when we stormed Pike. This man, <laughs> stormed Pike alone, sword in his hand. <laughs> Danny asks, do you trust this man? To which Jorah responds, it's hard to say, Khaleesi, it's been a very long time. Danny is conflicted. One of her most trusted advisors, Tyrion, was avidly against this group, while her other most trusted advisor, Jorah, shed blood on the battlefield with the other one of this group. Then she realizes there is a girl with them, not much younger than herself. You, Danny says, addressing Arya, come forward. Arya steps to the front. Who are you? Arya says, my name is Arya Stark of Winterfell. 
A hush fell over the small crowd. It had been seven years since Tyrion had last seen Arya, but now that she introduced herself, it was impossible to miss. Danny replies, Winterfell? What is your relation to Jon Snow? Arya responds, he's my brother. Danny turns to Tyrion. Tyrion addresses Arya and says, my lady, I am sorry for the suffering my family has caused yours. Then turns to Daenerys and says, I have no more objection to these companions. The choice is yours to accept their assistance or not. Danny looks at Arya and asks, are you these men's captive? Do you trust them? Arya responds, I am no one's captive. A few years ago I was. Both of these men took me captive at different times. As far as trusting them, I do not. But they never mistreated me, and the burn one even protected and looked after me for his part. They are capable warriors, and you could use their assistance and experience of this city. Danny nods and says to the group of them, It's settled then. Welcome to Dragonstone. So now, we cut over to King's Landing. Let me take a sip real quick. Yeah, let me get one of those too. So. Cheers, man. Yeah. That, that does a number on the throat, huh? <laughs> Dude, it's just, um, feel a little loose on this. Yeah. Put some uh, Sailor Jerry in there today. There it's a little go. bit stronger than the wine and man. <laughs> Good stuff. All right, so now we're still in Season 7, Episode 5. We cut over to King's Landing, getting ready for the siege. Bronn is ordering the men to make pitch as Jamie is having his men make and secure as many scorpions on the ramparts as possible. So the city is buzzing with activity as they try and mount their defenses. Kyburn is organizing the collection of all food and grain to store at the Red Keep in case of a prolonged siege. Cersei is in the highest tower of the Red Keep with Sir Gregor by her side along with Euron Greyjoy. She's looking down at the bustling of the city like a hawk. Euron approaches her and smiles creepily and says, There's nothing like the smell of a city about to go to war, is there? <laughs> so weird, man. It's so weird. <laughs> Cersei doesn't even respond. She truly can't stand Euron, but he's proven himself quite useful in delivering the Sand Snakes, allowing her to exact her revenge on Ilaria, also stopping the other Greyjoys from getting to Dorne and bringing them into the war as well. He may be unbearable, Cersei thought to herself, but he has his uses. At this point... We cut back to the northern army, finally beginning to arrive at Dragonstone. Arya, sitting on the bluffs of a mountain, sees the Stark banner in the distance and scrambles down her mountain and catches her breath as, as she's coming down, Rhaegal rushes past her, expectantly flying through the air. She had been on Dragonstone for two weeks and still hadn't become accustomed to the dragon's presence. Each time they flew by, she felt a rush of excitement. She made her way down and alerted Masandai of the northerner's approach. Daenerys and her trusted advisors go out to greet them. Daenerys is happy that Jon has held up his end of their deal. He was a man of his word. Jon gets off his horse and Sansa follows suit. Jon introduces Sansa to Danny, and since they are in Danny's residence and the North has the promise of freedom, there's no awkwardness or coldness between Sansa and Danny like there is in the real show. Yeah, Everything's gotcha. all nice, right? So they greet each other warmly, and while Sansa and Danny are exchanging pleasantries, Jon feels a little poke in his left calf like the prick of a needle. He looks down and sees a familiar face, a smiling face pressing against uh, his sword into his leg. Little sister, he exclaims and tussles her hair. She jumps into his arm for a very long embrace. This is the first time that Arya and Jon have seen each other since the events of season one. That's awesome. Arya is alive. <laughs> yeah. So like, uh, 
Tears welling in both their eyes. Sansa hears this, turns around, and she can't believe their eyes. They're all there together. She joins in a group hug with them, and Daenerys stands there happy for the reunited family, but can't help but to feel a twinge of jealousy, wishing she had a family herself. Danny says, I will let you all catch up. My men will find the appropriate accommodations for your men, and in three hours' time, I would have you meet me in the war council chambers to brief you on the battle plans. So the Dothraki and Sullied came forward to assist the Northerners in making their move into Dragonstone. So John was pleasantly surprised that all, every single one of the Northerners answered the call. House Reed, led by his father's friend Howland, House Glover, House Aaron, House Karstark, House Mormont, House Umber, House Kerwin, House Hornwood, House Tallart, House Manderley, House Risewell, House Dorman, House Flint, House Forrester, House Whitehill, and House Glenmore, all together, they all determined to do their part to help the North earn its independence. So after the Northmen were safely inside Dragonstone, Bran wheels up in his wheelchair, and Sansa, Arya, Bran, and John briefly catch up with each other with the details of their lives since leaving Winterfell in the very beginning. Very wholesome moment. At this point in time, this is where Bran gives Arya the cat's paw dagger. So instead mm -hmm. of that happening in Winterfell, he gives her the cat's paw dagger here. Hey, okay. it's Wissed and Uncripple. Here, you, t you take it. So he gives Arya the cat's paw dagger. Now, uh, it, was a good, it was a good day for House Stark. As instructed, Jon, Sansa, Arya, and Bran arrived in the War Council room shortly after. Olenna had left weeks ago to prepare her army, so the War Council consisted of Tyrion, Varys, Jorah, Danny, Grey Worm, Masandai, Jon, Arya, Sansa, Davos, Bran, Beric, Thoros, and the Hound. Once Danny caught them all up to speed on how she had planned to attack the bo like, by, by boxing Cersei in, Sansa expressed her concern. Your Grace, I was a captive of Cersei, and Cersei will never surrender, no matter the situation or the cost. Tyrion replied to her, You're most likely right. My sister won't surrender, but we need to give her the chance. Sansa responds, If we give her that chance outside the city walls, she will just hold the lives of the people of King's Landing hostage against you, counting on your mercy while she figures out a way to escape or call for allies. Danny chimes in. Well, do you have an alternate suggestion? Sansa looks at the map and admits, No, I do not. But then surprisingly, this is a good part here. Jorah speaks up. Khaleesi, I believe I may have a solution. Danny says, Go on, Sir Jorah. Jorah says, Remember in Yunkai, when we slipped through a secret passage with a few of our best fighters and opened the gates from the inside oh, to allow sick. our armies that's to enter awesome. the city uncontested? That is badass. Could we not do the same here in King's Landing? A buzz of excitement enters the chambers as they realize the possibilities. Danny asks the room, Does anyone here know the layout of the city well enough to find any hidden passages or pathways into the city? Simultaneously, Tyrion and Sir Davos say, I do, your grace. So Tyrion and Sir Davos look at each other in amusement. We cut over to King's Landing, to where the final touches were being placed on the defenses of the city. In the Red Keep, Cersei was holding her own war council with Kyburn, the Mountain, Jamie, Euron, as, as well as Bronn. Cersei says, give me an update. Kyburn is the first to respond. Your grace, we have moved all the food, livestock, and grain into the Red Keep. We have enough stores to hold out one year. 
Good, Cersei replies. She turns to Euron. Euron says, The Greyjoy fleet is guarding Blackwater Bay. We are safe from attack by sea, and we still have a means of escape if the city falls. Cersei replies, Excellent, and then turns to Jaime. Jaime says, We have all the remaining Lannister army, gold cloaks, and Queen's Guard in the best possible defensive position to hold the city as long as we can. Cersei nods and turns to Bronn. Bronn says, Your Grace, all the ramparts are equipped with scorpions to shoot the dragons out of the sky, as well as they have... Now, this is, guys... I'm going to do a spoiler alert right here. <laughs> they placed a scorpion in that tower of the Red Keep where Cersei looks out of the window. So that's what, when he says, Your Grace, okay. you know, uh, there's also a scorpion stationed in your chamber at the highest tower of the Red Keep. And we also have sufficient pitch to pour down the enemies as they try to storm the city walls. Cersei says, Very good. It seems if, as we're as ready as we'll ever be. You all may go. And as they turn to leave, Cersei calls out, Sir Bronn, may I speak with you alone, please? The rest of the men leave the room. Cersei says, I have a special mission for you, with a lot of gold upon completion. Bronn says, sounds great. What is it? Cersei gives an evil smile. It involves you seeing an old friend. And we cut back over to Dragonstone as the armies are starting to assemble. And suddenly, we see a lone ship with a kraken as its sigil approach the bay of Dragonstone. As the ship touches land, Theon Greyjoy climbs out. Neither Jon nor Arya cost him because they know from Sansa's story that she is only alive because of him. Theon greets the Starks, but only gets a warm welcome from Sansa. John and Arya find it hard to forget the terrible things he did to their family. So Danny comes down and Theon debriefs about what happened and how they were ambushed on the way to Dorne and how Euron killed Obara and Nymeria and took Yara captive. Danny tells him, We are assembling our army now and will be moving into position. You've had a long journey. You may stay here and recover. Theon replies, With all respect, your grace, I request permission to attempt to rescue my sister from my uncle. Danny pondered this for a moment, and she replied, You have my blessing. You may take ten of the unsullied with you. Most are in Casterly Rock holding the west, but I kept three hundred here to hold Dragonstone while we laid siege to King's Landing. So between the three hundred unsullied we have here and a hundred thousand Dothraki, I feel confident in our ability to hold Dragonstone, she says with a smile. Theon thanks her and readies his ship. Grey Worm escorts ten of the best remaining Unsullied to him, and he sails off within the hour. With everything set at Dragonstone, leaving it guarded by the Dothraki and the remaining Unsullied, Danny, with her dragons and Northern Army, begin their journey to King's Landing. And now we cut over to the dead of night. Theon and his ten Unsullied, with the remaining loyal Ironborn, land at Smuggler's Cove. They swim the quarter-mile Rock, around the, they swim around the quarter-mile rock bluffs that hang out over Blackwater Bay. They see Euron Greyjoy's unmistakable fleet surrounding the, bla the bay. A formidable naval armada of close to a thousand ships, but there was only one that they were looking for, and found it quite easily. Euron wanted all to know what his ship looked like. It was anchored close to the land on the other side of the bay, which looked like an escape route from the back of the Red Keep. So Theon and his men in Unsullied took their time, swam stealthily until they got to Euron's ship around an hour later. 
There weren't many men on Euron's ship, and so when Theon and his men all pulled themselves aboard from different parts of the ship, the fighting ended quickly, and the fighting ended quietly. Theon went down below the deck, found his sister Yara bloody, beaten, but alive. He unbounds her, and she headbutts him in the face, but then helps him up. Theon asks her, should we burn his ship? And Yara says, no, we don't want to alert them anything is wrong or out of the ordinary. We leave it as it is, and they will find the bodies in the morning when it's already too late for them to do anything about it. And just as quietly as they arrived, they slip back into the water, swim the quarter mile around the bluffs again into Smuggler's Cove, climb back onto Theon's ship, and sail back to Dragonstone. We now cut back to Danny. It's still about two hours before the dawn, and they approach King's Landing. And take a sip here, bro. So, the secret passages into the city that Sir Davos and Tyrion knew were on opposite sides of King's Landing, so it could not have worked out better. About to pull out my map again, bro. That's good shit. <laughs> I'm about okay. to pull out the map. <laughs> so, I could not have worked out better. Neither Sir Davos nor Tyrion were fighters, so the plan was that Thoros, Beric, the Hound, and Arya would infiltrate the city at the passage Tyrion would show them, and then Tyrion would get to a predetermined safe spot as fast as he could. Then on the other side of the city, Jon, Jorah, and Grey Worm would sneak in at the passage that Sir Davos knew. And then Davos would get to a predetermined safe spot as fast as he could as well. Now, once in the city, they would attempt to open the gates that they were going to be trying to infiltrate. So, there's the Mud Gate and the Iron Gate on opposite sides of the Red Keep. Now, that they, what they want to do is allow the, full, the bulk of the force of both the Highgarden army stationed to the south in and then the bulk of the forces from the northerners entered in from the north to kind of sandwich them very similarly they did with the Unsullied and Dothraki and the quote-unquote spoils of war part. They want to be able to do that because once they're inside, the city will fall. So... They prevent access to the, the. What they do is prevent access to and from the city, uh, while those armies are in there with the rest of them surrounding. So there's no way to retreat and no way to get supplies inside. Now the High Garden was doing the same on the south and on the west side of the city. Davos successfully leads Jorah, Jon, and Grey Worm to his secret passage into the city. Now, with only three of them, it was easy to go unnoticed by the sentry posted along the city walls. The quote-unquote passage was a hole in the stone barely big enough for one man to go through on hands and knees, so they had to go one at a time. The rustling of their armor made them nervous as they were army crawling through the passage. As soon as Sir Davos lost track of John's boots to the passage darkness, he retreated to his specified safe spot. On the other side of the city, Tyrion was leading Thoros, Beric, the Hound, and Arya through the sewers that followed up from Flea Bottom to the Red Keep Dungeons. Arya recognized it because she had went the opposite way from the Red Keep Dungeons to Flea Bottom sewers seven years ago when she was first came to King's Landing with her father. Now once Tyrion got them as far as he could without taking any unnecessary risks, he begins to retreat to his designated safe spot. Now the light of the day was still yet to come, so Tyrion walks securely in the dark approaching the brothel on Rosby Road, which was meant to be his safe spot. 
For who would guess the irony of Tyrion hiding in a brothel, being a, form, a former patron of a brothel, but now being the hand of the queen to Daenerys? He is about to put his hand on the door when suddenly he feels a hand clamp over his mouth and a steel blade against his throat. Inside King's Landing, both parties find success at infiltrating the city. Their plan was for now for one group to attack the guards at the Mud Gate and the other group to attack the guards at the Iron Gate. Time was against them now as the first of the light of day was beginning to creep up in the sky. John, Jorah, and Grey Worm must have had the faster passage to their gate because they saw the Mud Gate lightly manned and they were able to get too close to the guards before the guards could do anything about it and realize that they were enemies. There were ten guards at the Mud Gate, all asleep right before dawn and unsuspecting. So John, Jorah, and Grey Worm killed them with ease. But at the Iron Gate, it was a bit more difficult, since that was a main gate and had about 25 guards. The Hound, Beric, and Thoros were able to silently kill three guards and take their uniform to let the other guards think that they are with them. Arya was like a shadow darting in and out of open spaces, silently cutting the throats of as many guards as she could. She killed about eight guards before they realized what was happening. And when they did, the Hound, Beric, and Thoros went to work killing the rest of them. But not before the horns blew, alerting the city of the attack. But it was too late. As the horns blew, each group opened their gate, the Mud Gate and the Iron Gate, which allowed the Northern Army to storm the Iron Gate and High Gardens southernmost portion of their army to storm the mud gate the war for king's landing begins all right bro i'm going to show you on my map here actually i pulled this out on the technological detailed map of king's landing so i'm going to show you and i'm going to try to explain it to them okay okay so you see here this is the red keep right here got it this is the mud gate where john Jorah and um, uh, what's his face? Grey Worm Storm. But they, they, do, they, they sneak into the secret passage and open the mud gate. Now, this is the Iron Gate here. This is where the Hound, Thoros, Beric, and Arya take out their men and open the Iron Gate. So the Northern Forces is coming through this Iron Gate. The High Garden Forces are coming through the mud gate. And they're about to fuck the city up. Got you. So that's going to be the start of the Battle of King's Landing. A lot of good things happen here, man. So we're going to buckle up and, and ready to rock and roll. But I need to take a sip of For this. For the ride, baby. Yeah, this is yeah, going to be... Dude, this is good stuff. This is going to be one of the biggest episodes that I have. So, But I'll tell Stoke. you what. There's the way that some people go and exit this series. It's pretty amazing. So I want you guys all to pay attention <laughs> here. Because I'll try to explain the full circle moments as they happen. Ready? Ready. Let's do it. See, episode 6 of Season 7 opens with the horns of King's Landing blowing at dawn and the Lannister army scrambling to get in position, but it's too late. With the mud gate open on the south side of the city and High Garden's army pouring into King's Landing from there, while on the opposite side, the Iron Gate open with, with the northern armies pouring in from that side, the Lannister army has to fight a battle on both sides with fewer numbers, taken by surprise, with nowhere to retreat because the rest of Danny's forces are outside the city walls surrounding it. As the horns were blowing and the city is trying to defend from the infiltration of the larger armies on both sides, Daenerys and her dragons take flight. 
She sent Rhaegal and Viserion to destroy the Scorpions on the ramparts, while she took Drogon to Blackwater Bay to de- destroy Euron Greyjoy's naval fleet. In my words, nice. it was a complete annihilation. <laughs> the city would fall by midday. We cut over to Tyrion, who was taken captive with a knife to his throat. He realizes his captor is Bronn. Bronn, what are you doing? Tyrion asks. Bronn replied, killing the Dragon Queen's hand by order of Queen Cersei in exchange for my pick of the castles remaining after this war is over. To which Tyrion says, Look at the city, Bronn. King's Landing will fall within hours. Cersei cannot make good on this deal with you. They both look up and see Rhaegal and Viserion just raining fire down <laughs> on the scorpions and the ramparts in the distance. Bronn says, I'm not a fucking idiot. I know the city is lost. But I know you value your life more than anything, and I can end it right now without anybody ever knowing who did it or when it happened. Tyrion smiled and replied, I assume you mean to call in on my promise from years ago. Bronn nodded and said, You told me whatever they're paying me, you'll pay double. <laughs> Tyrion nodded. I did, but I don't know what double of any of the vacant castles would be. And Bronn says back, Well, you better make an offer before I just cut my losses and kill you. Oh my god. Tyrion considers for a moment, <laughs> and then crazy. a solution comes to him. Think about this full circle right here. When we win all wars, I will give you Casterly Rock. You will be Warden of the West, one of the most powerful men in Westeros. Think of the poetry, Bronn. You fought with me there against Robb Stark's forces. You'd be getting the Lannister lands and titles for restitution for all the services you provided me and my family. Bronn thinks it over and says, Give me your word. Tyrion shakes his hand and says, I give you my word as a Lannister. And a Lannister always pays his debts. Yeah, dude, that's badass. That's awesome. Now we cut back to the one-sided war. (laughs) The ramparts lay charred and burned with North Scorpions left. Danny successfully destroyed Euron's fleet, save for a few ships. Guys, this is important. A few ships were remaining because they were too close to the city without her doing any real harm to the city. So a few of Euron Greyjoy's ships still remain. But they're no threat to her. She could deal with them later. She flies Drogon to the heart of the city where she meets up with her forces who sacked the city. The Lannister army was defeated. She steps off Drogon and addresses the remaining Lannister forces. You have seen what it is like to fight me, Daenerys Stormborn, your rightful queen. There is nowhere to run. We have the city surrounded. You have a choice to make. Bend the knee now or die. The Lannister army threw down their weapons immediately and went to one knee. This is where we cut to Cersei in her high tower of the Red Keep with Kyburn, Sir Gregor, Euron, and Jaime. She looks down and watches as what's left of her army bends a knee to the Dragon Queen. Oh, shit. Didn't She's see that pissed. coming. She's oh, pissed. Man, yeah. Cersei's not happy. So we cut back Did to Daenerys. Did not see that coming. She summons Rhaegal and Viserion from the sky. So how I want you to picture this, imagine I'm standing right here in front of the camera, right? Drogon's behind her. Viserion and Rhaegal are to her left and right. Okay? So they land on either side of her and Drogon. She addresses the Lannister forces and says, I would be a fool to not, not to expect a trick or trap from Cersei Lannister or her army. I command you all to remove all of your armor, strip down to your base clothes, and pile your armor and weapons before me. 
So the Lannister army did as they were told. They piled their swords, spears, shield, armor, and helmets in a huge heap before Daenerys. The Lannister army, basically stripped naked, are no longer a threat to her. <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh, that's awesome. She turns to her dragons yeah. and says, Dracarys. And all three of them shoot flames. What the fuck? Well, they, they don't kill the they don't kill the people. But what they up. do is a very smart thing. They shoot flames from their mouth directly onto the large pile of weapons and armor, beginning to incinerate it. Now we cut back to Cersei in the high tower of the Red Keep, watching the three dragons melt the pile. She looks at Euron and smiles. They had a moment of distraction and false sense of security that they needed. Cersei says, aim for her. Euron aims the last scorpion that they had placed in the window of that tower. Because keep in mind, no one knew that they placed a scorpion in the tower, oh, remember? Shit. Oh, shit. Oh, fuck. Euron aims the last scorpion they had placed in the tower no. of the window and fires. We go back down to Daenerys, and her dragons had turned the pile of armor and weapons to dust. Very good, my children, she says to her dragons. Rhaegal moves his head down toward her as to urge no. urge her to pet him for a job well done. So as she goes to pet the side of Rhaegal's head, a scorpion bolt erupts through Rhaegal's neck, splattering blood in Daenerys' face. The bolt What inches, the fuck, dude? That's so fucked up. The bolt inches from Daenerys' face. If Rhaegal didn't get his head down there, that Euron would have killed Daenerys, but Rhaegal unknowingly wanted some validation and and recognition for a job done, so he puts his head down to be pet. Daenerys goes to pet him. The bolt flies right through his neck on the side like that, and it's like right. The bolt was right Dude, in front of her eyes. Fucking crazy. Rhaegal falls dead before her. Everybody is confused and trying to gather what had just happened. Only John had the presence of mind to shout to Daenerys, "Get out of here!" She pauses in disbelief for just a moment, then climbs on Drogon and flies off just in time before a second scorpion bolt lands right where she was standing a moment before. Oh my gosh. This time, Arya was able to see where the bolt came from. The Red Keep, she shouted, and ran towards the tower with Beric, the Hound, and Thoros on her heels. Bro, you're going to want to keep Dude, in mind here. This is going to get man. crazy. Oh, shit. That's fucking good. John was trying to regain control over the Northerners in High Garden so they could form up in a defensive position, alert and ready, instead of scrambling around. Viserion gives a loud shriek and flies off after Daenerys and Drogon. We cut back to Cersei in the tower with Euron, Kyburn, Jaime, and Sir Gregor. Kyburn says, We must leave the city, Your Grace. The city has fallen, and our enemies now know where we are. Jamie interjects, where would you have us go? They have the city surrounded. Euron speaks up, do you see that, that, says, do you see that pass towards the western part of the wall, Kingslayer? Jamie goes to the window and looks out. It was obviously not an option for him. So Jamie replies, we would cut too close to the armies. We couldn't pass for commoners without abandoning our weapons. And then if we were to be recognized, we would be all over. You see, he raises his golden hand showing we, we could easily be recognized. So, as he was surveying the city from the window, Euron says, I suppose it's a good thing I anchored my ship close enough to the city to make a quick escape. We just need to go through the dungeons and out to the bay. There is only one problem. Jamie replies, What is that? As he begins to turn around, Euron is uncomfortably close to him. Euron says, no. You won't be going. 
and no. pushes Jamie Lannister out of the highest window of the what highest the tower fuck? of the Red Keep. Full circle as fuck, baby. That was good That's shit, right. man. Cer- Cersei oh screams God. a blood-curling shriek in terror and sorrow tears pouring from her face. Euron smiles maniacally and says, the things I do for love. Oh, my God. So just like you were that saying. so good. Like you were saying, the full circle story for Jamie because since the beginning of the series, he pushed Bran from the tower in Winterfell and said those same words to Cersei. So it came full circle Dude, around. my boy is gone. Your boy is gone. No. Cersei, wrought with grief, screams, Sir Gregor, kill him. The mountain unsheaths his sword and advances towards Euron. Euron yells back, if you kill me, how will you escape? Neither your hand nor your glorified attack dog know how to sail my ship or know way to go. Like it or not, I'm your best chance of survival. And just as he finished the sentence, the Red Keep begins to shake. Daenerys had started her assault with her two remaining dragons on the Red Keep. Kyburn says, Your Grace, we have no time. Cersei, raw with emotion, takes stock of the situation and reluctantly nods her head. So Euron, Cersei, Kyburn, and the mountain start descending from the Red Keep. Now we cut to Arya, the Hound, Beric, and Thoros entering the Red Keep. The Red Keep is shaking and pieces are starting to crumble. The group makes it past the throne room and up into the map room. More pieces of the keep are falling. The Hound turns to Arya, and they have that moment where like, like the Hound tries to talk her out of going any further. You think you wanted revenge a long time, girl. It's all I've been after my whole life, and look at me. Look at me! You come with us, you die here. Beric looks at Arya as well and says, We'll take care of them. You get out of here. They begin to walk away towards the stairs to the next level, and Arya says, Sandor, thank you. He looks at her and nods. So now Thoros, Beric, and the Hound continue up the Red Keep while Arya descends down back into the throne room. As she walks past the throne room, she sees the back of a man's head at the opposite end of the room. He was bald, and there was something oddly familiar about him, so she pursued him for a distance. And as he took a turn, descending towards the exit of the Red Keep, Arya caught a glimpse of his face. Who do you think it was? Going to the Red Keep? Like, he, he's, leaving the, he's leaving the Red Keep. Back of a bald man's head. Who do you think it is? Ellen Payne? Oh, shit! <laughs> Fuck yeah, man. I gotta redo that. that was... Malice in the Chalice! Fuck yeah! I was like... Because I haven't seen his ass in fucking forever. <laughs> forgot about him in the real show. Fucking great. <laughs> Arya caught a glimpse of his face. It was the king's justice. Ill in pain. Memories of him dragging her father out to the sept of Baylor. Of Joffrey calling for her father's head. And of Ill in pain bringing the sword down, changing Arya's life forever, flooded through her. She snapped back into assassin mode. So, she sprints after him. Ilan Payne hears the footsteps, but when he turns around, it was too late. He was met by Arya's boot to his face. Ilan Payne falls down and tries to scramble to his feet while loosening his sword. As he reaches for his scabbard, Arya slices him on the fingers, taking his fingers clean off. He fell to his knees, and she says, You have no tongue or fingers now, she says mockingly. Soon, you won't have a head. Do you know who I am, she asks. Ilan Payne, because remember he has his tongue removed, he can't, can't say talk, anything. Yeah. Ilan Payne shakes his head, and his amputated fingers are bleeding and throbbing. She says, I am Arya Stark, and I watched you kill my father. 
Ellen Payne's eyes widened with understanding. And now that he knew who she was, Arya stabbed him through the stomach with needle, and he fell face first to the floor, bleeding out, coughing up blood. She walked over him, removed his sword from his own belt, held it high over her head, and came down with it. Now, she didn't have enough force, kind of like Theon with Sir Roderick that you were talking about, mm -hmm. how he had to hack a couple times to get the head yeah, off. Yeah, that's right. So Arya didn't have enough strength to take Hill Ellen Payne's head off with one quick swing. So she's hacking at his head. Oh until my gosh, that's so <laughs> fucked up. Until it finally comes off. Full circle at its <laughs> finest. Yep, so it finally <laughs> yeah. comes off two more times, and it separates from his shoulder in a messy execution. She then kicks his head like a soccer ball down the steps leading to the ground of the floor of the Red Keep. She turns back around and re-enters the Red Keep. We cut to Cersei, Kyber, and Euron and Sir Gregor coming down the steps, approaching the mat room when they come around that bend yeah. and find themselves face to face with Beric, Thoros, and the Hound. Oh shit. Oh yes. The Hound looks up at the mountain and says, Hello, big brother. The mountain begins to advance towards the hound. Cersei yells, Sir Gregor, stay by my side. The mountain looks at Cersei, stares a moment, ignores her, and continues to advance towards the hound. Cersei shouts, Sir Gregor, I command you! And Kyburn steps forward and yells, Obey your queen, Sir Gregor! The mountain grabs Kyburn <laughs> by the throat, smashes his head against the wall, crushing his skull, and tosses his body down the stairs. Euron grabs Cersei and runs past the mountain. The mountain advances again towards the hound. Beric steps up next to the hound. The hound growls at him, Fuck off, Dondarrion. My brother is mine. Beric replies, Oh no, Sandor. I have unfinished business with your brother as well. Thoros, would you mind killing the queen while we handle this? <laughs> uh, Thoros gets the fucking shit into the Th stick. Oh, he sure does. Thoros <laughs> smiled and said, Certainly, and lunges at Cersei. <laughs> Euron, sword in hand, deflected Thoros's attack. No. I will say a respectful sword battle ensues between Euron and Thoros just as the Clegane Bowl starts. Thoros, a skilled warrior in his own right, was no match for Euron Greyjoy. <laughs> I knew that shit. The, la the battle lasted minutes before Euron drove his sword into Thoros's heart. Beric looked back in time to see the death blow strike to his longtime friend. No! He shouted aloud and ran to his fallen body. Euron and Cersei continued to run down the, the, the Red Keep to escape. Beric knelt down beside Thoros, and they said their last goodbyes. When the light from Thoros' eyes went out, Beric stood up, lit his sword of flame, and joined the Hound in the battle against the mountain. Oh my gosh, that's badass, dude. Now That is awesome. Now we cut back to Euron, leading Cersei down to the dungeons to make their secret path. This is where you really want to pay attention. Secret <laughs> path that would lead them to the ship so they can make their escape. Gotcha. Cersei didn't trust Euron. He killed Jamie. Her eyes welled with tears as she thought how she didn't get an opportunity to say goodbye or that she loved her brother. Because everything Jamie had ever done, he had done for her, and she rarely showed him any appreciation. She hated Euron for taking Jamie from her, but he was the only reason that she was still alive. The Red Keep was still crumbling around them and as the dragons continue their fiery assault on the structure. After what seemed like an eternity, Cersei saw sunlight peeking through an opening and felt sand underfoot. Euron could see his ship at the shoreline. They quickened their pace when suddenly they could hear the clink of armor in the distance. Euron grabbed Cersei and put her behind him. 
putting, placing himself between Cersei and the threat. Got it. Okay. So he took out a sword, looking to meet this new threat head on. Out of the dungeon passway emerges Sir Gregor Clegane the Mountain. Fuck. Cersei breathed a sigh of relief. She would not be, be stuck with Euron alone after all, and Sir Gregor could defend her if Euron overstepped his bounds. Euron, with an annoyed look on his face, put his sword away and started making his way towards his ship. Cersei waited for the mountain to catch up to her. She smiled and said, Sir Gregor, you killed my enemies, for which I am thankful, but never leave my side again. Will you escort your queen to the ship? As usual, the mountain said nothing, but walked by her side. When they approached the shoreline, Euron, who was on his ship getting it unanchored ready to depart, yells to Cersei, The water will be about waist deep for you. You may want to have your giant oaf carry you. Yeah. The water will only go up to his shins, he said laughing at his own humor. Cersei turns around to ask the mountain if he will carry her, and as she faces him, he plunges his sword through her stomach. What the fuck? We get a cutscene back to the Kagane Bowl. The Hound is fighting a better fight and landing what would be killing blows on any other human, but no matter what he does, the Mountain doesn't feel it. The Hound plunges his sword into his brother's chest, but the Mountain grabbed the Hound's sword blade, removed it from his own chest like as someone would remove a splinter. The Mountain knocks the Hound to the side, and that's when Beric entered that battle, like I said, with his flaming sword. So Beric and the Mountain have a few good sword exchanges, and Beric catches the Mountain a couple times as well. But again, the mountain feels no pain and doesn't act like he's been hit at all. Between the two of them, they're able to hack the mountain's chest armor off. And the, the mountain's not tiring, though, and he's able to deal a stunning blow with his fist against the side of Beric's head, knocking him unconscious. Guys, have you ever, like, put anything in your hands and, like, when you hit something, it goes a lot harder? So Gregor yeah. had his sword in his hand and hits Beric, and Beric falls unconscious. Okay. The mountain then grabs the hound by the neck as the hound is stabbing the mountain repeatedly with no avail. Fucking die! <laughs> the, <laughs> fucking die! <laughs> the, the hound shouts helplessly as he's tried everything. The mountain, with his hand around the hound's neck like a vice, starts moving the hound's head closer and closer to Beric's flaming sword. The hound can feel the heat inching closer and closer what? to his face. Just as the hound is about to press his brother's face against the flaming sword, Arya leaps from out of nowhere onto the mountain's head and stabs him in the eye with her cat's paw dagger. Oh, shit. He releases the hound from the grip and grabs Arya off his head. He amazingly, with one eye, gets a hold of her body, even with her dagger sticking out of it, out of his eye. He lifts her over his head and starts to crush her tiny body. What the f Arya yells out in pain as he's about to kill her. The Hound picks up Beric's flaming sword, plunges it into the mountain's heart. The mountain drops Arya as the flames begin to spread and engulf his torso, killing the mountain once and for all. But before the, the flames consumed his entire body, Arya removes her dagger from his eye and takes his face. Oh shit, that's badass. So that's fucking there's, great. There's a full, there's a few big full circle moments here, guys. When the mountain tried to put the hound's face to the fire, that's what started their whole conflict from childhood. Remember yeah. when he put his face to the fire that's there? Badass, that's right? great. Mm -hmm. Now the over, so the hound finally overcame his fear of fire to be able to use Beric's sword and save Arya. Yeah. He finally killed his brother after a full series lead up, and the mountain was on Arya's list of names. Mm -hmm. And also, Beric 
His whole story in the Song of Ice and Fire started when Ned Stark commanded him to bring the mountain to justice. So, so it's great. fitting that, that all three played a major role in killing him. So perfect. So great. Gr a great full circle, right? That is excellent. So Arya and the Hound shake Beric until he regains consciousness. The Hound shouts, we're all fucked. This building is coming down. Arya shakes her head and says, I've escaped the keep, the keep before through the dungeons. Follow me. Keep in mind, she was there in season one when Varys and Illyrio were plotting against Ned and Robert. Remember mm -hmm. that? So they follow her, and her memory serves well. So she's, they're able to dart quickly in and out of the right places and passages before long they see the light of the end of the tunnel and hear, hear Euron and Cersei's voices. Arya looks at the Hound and Beric and says, Stay here until you hear my voice. They look confused, but nod. She had just saved their lives. So she slips back into the shadows and puts on the mountain's face. We cut back to present time, and Cersei falls to her knees with Sir Gregor's sword embedded in her stomach, protruding out the back. Arya removes the face and looks down at Cersei. Do you remember me? Cersei's eyes widen as she realizes, and then Euron, from his ship, sees what just happened and is about to go to Cersei's aid until shortly after Arya spoke, the Hound and Beric emerge from the passage, walking towards them. Euron says, Fuck this. Decides to cut his, <laughs> decides to oh cut his losses God. and flee, leaving Cersei and King's Landing behind what as bitch. his ship picks up momentum on the water. <clears throat> he would do some shit like that. Cersei looks up at Arya and says, It can't be, with blood starting to come from her mouth. You are dead. Arya shakes her head in amusement. She had been waiting all her life for this moment. I should have been. But you're not as good as you think you are, Cersei. She pulls Sir Gregor's great sword from Cersei's stomach, raises it high in the air, and says, When you play the Game of Thrones, you either win or you die. As she brings the great sword down as hard as she can, removing Cersei's head from her body. What the fuck? That is awesome. Dude, so that right is now. fucking great. Right now, uh, Arya has taken Walder Frey's life, brown eyes. She's just taken uh, Cersei's life, mm -hmm. green eyes. So we got two out of three right now. And there's unmistakable green eyes, not like Baelish might be. <laughs> like, right? So. Okay, yeah, 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 no. That would, yeah, Cersei is a definite green eyes. There's yes. no, like, green. Emerald green. green. Emerald green. And in my opinion, that's what it should have been. Yes. The only reason I made it in mine the way it was was because I didn't want to. I wanted to. I, I was glad I solved it. <laughs> <laughs> so now Cersei's head's removed, and basically this next episode is just the aftermath of what's happened. Yeah. News of King's Landing's conquer and Daenerys's coronation as Queen of the Seven Kingdoms spread fast throughout the country. Sam at Old Town leaves the Citadel and heads to King Landing with important information he found out at the Citadel. The Northerners who were guests at Dragonstone moved into King's Landing. The Dothraki and Unsullied were called back to the capital as well as Highgarden. Already, Danny had the builders start working on rebuilding what was destroyed of the city. Because keep in mind, Danny doesn't go mad here. She only like I'm going to go into the losses that they suffered at King's mm -hmm. Landing. It's only two major ones: Thoros and Rhaegal. Yeah. Everyone else is like like mm -hmm. the reason why I did this, guys, is I wanted to make it seem like Cersei was so inconsequential. Like like this whole thing, like she was the bad villain from the beginning. I wanted just to show like once almost like in real life, when you finally stand up to the bully, then they're they they're nothing. Yeah. So that's why I wanted to make this war against Cersei seem like Cersei was nothing. 
That was great. That's what I yeah. wanted it to really come down to, right? So the Northerners would guess a Dragonstone moved into King's Landing. The Dothraki Unsullied would call back to the capital as well as Hydegarden was. Danny had the builders start working on rebuilding what was destroyed of the city, which mainly was just the Red Keep and, you know, kind of patching up their defenses and stuff. The, wa- the losses in the war against Cersei were minimal. A few hundred Northmen, a few hundred Hydegardeners, Rhaegal and Thoros of Myr. They had a ceremony and burnt the dead. Danny offered a bounty on Euron Greyjoy's head because remember Euron killed Rhaegar yeah. and and like Ran sailed like a off. Bitch. Yes, he did. Cool. That's gonna come up later, though. <laughs> By the way, too, I love how you did that because that's exactly like how you would do in the show. Because even when he was like, and we knew their little plan that we found out, but he was like, uh, "That's this is the only thing that terrifies me." Yeah, like, yeah, that's so great. That's awesome for sure. So they had the ceremony, burnt the dead. Danny offered a bounty on Euron Greyjoy's head, and she held an audience in the throne room. She sat upon the Iron Throne at last. Oh hell yeah! Right, but fucking so, girl, fucking. So mounted and mounted on the gate to the Red Keep was Cersei Lannister's head on a spike. <laughs> oh Just like because remember back back when they mounted Ned, Ned baby, they, Nedster. they Ned, mounted Ned on the thing. So full fucking circle, bitch. Dude, that's awesome, man. That is. Bad fucking ass. In the throne room, present was John, Davos, Tyrion, Bronn, the Hound, Beric, Grey Worm, Missandei, Varys, Yara, Theon, Jorah, Brienne, Sansa, Arya, Olenna, and Bran. Daenerys addresses them all. Thank you, all of you, for helping me claim what is mine, what I've set out for since I was a child. I could not be more proud to be your queen. She continued, and part of being queen is keeping the promises I made to those who helped me. Jon Snow, come forward. Jon approaches her and says, yes, your grace. Danny replies, I made a deal with you that if you brought your men down and helped me take the capital, I would venture north with you up beyond the wall to see if the White Walkers, the Night King, and the Army of the Dead are real. Oh, fuck. Jon replies, you did, your grace. Danny says, and, I, and while it's only been two weeks since we took King's Landing, today I keep that promise. Her advisors look around worried. In my absence, my hand, Tyrion Lannister, will be acting with the Queen's full authority. Everyone nods in agreement. Daenerys continued, I'd be a fool not to take this threat seriously to the north. So, of all the dragonglass that we mined at Dragonstone, it needs to be forged into substantial weapons. If it turns out this threat is a hoax, we can always sell them at foreign markets. Does anybody know of a smith that has a necessary skill required to do this? Mm. Sir Davos steps forward. Oh, I know, yeah. I know one, Your Grace. <laughs> Absolutely. And he actually lives quite close. <laughs> <laughs> Daenerys replies, good. Go collect him. Provide him with the best possible equipment and the best forge and have him start making these dragon glass weapons. Danny then turns to Olenna and says, I trust we can count on High Garden's food and grain. Olenna replies, Yes, Your Grace, it's already on the way. Danny responds, Perfect. While all other orders can be directed by the hand, keep rebuilding and fortifying the city. I want it looking brand new by the time I return. She looks back to Jon Snow. Get your affairs in order with your people, give them their assignments, and meet me at the Dragon Pit in two hours. We leave today. John nodded, and Danny dismissed everybody. Just as instructed, John made sure orders were given and tasks were assigned. And at the two-hour mark, he met Danny in the dragon pit. 
Danny is already there with Drogon and Viserion. This is gonna be really cool, bro. This is gonna yeah. come a lot full circle. Dude, I'm too. stoked. I'm waiting for sick. that Night King to kick some ass, baby. Oh yeah. Oh, dude, you come to the right place. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, that's awesome. So John says, "I've never flown a dragon before, Your Grace." And Danny responds, "Nor will you have to today. You will ride on Drogon with me, and Viserion will fly free range. He is smaller, but faster and just as capable if we need him." John replies. Let's hope we don't need him. <laughs> Danny nods and she climbs on Drogon's back. Let's go, Jon Snow. If what you say is true and this army is real, we have no time to waste. Jon agrees and climbs up on Drogon's back behind Danny. And both Drogon, both I'm sorry, both dragons soar high in the sky, heading north. Sir Davos heads to the Street of Steel and finds your boy Gendry. Oh, fuck. Gendry is more than willing to help, especially when Davos tells him that the Queen is providing him with state-of-the-art supplies and building him his own forge, and he'll have quarters of his own outside the slums of Flea Bottom, where he is now. He eagerly leaves his smith shop behind. We cut back to Danny and Jon flying on Drogon with Viserion close behind. They fly out north. It looks like such a dead, desolate place because nobody lives there now, and winter has come. They approach the wall, which looks beautiful from their height in the sky. They cross over the wall, close to where the wall meets the sea. John thought of Tormund and hoped that no ill fate had befallen him. He thought back to his first time and his first journey beyond the wall. He thought about Craster's Keep and the evil that had taken place there. He thought about the Fist of the First Men and how he went on his first ranging mission with Corrin Halfhand, where he met his first love, Egret. Pained him to think about her just now because he was starting to feel the same things about Danny. He remembered having to kill Corrin Halfhand, infiltrating the Wildling army, pretending to be a part of their army in order to gain information to try and save his Night's Watch brothers from the Wildling super army. He remembered seeing his first giant after his whole life he thought they were a made up people. He remembered his time with Egret in the cave in the spring and how she never wanted to leave. He had to push all those feelings aside because they were entering the great enemy's territory with no allies other than themselves and the dragons. And if his head wasn't in the right spot, any small misstep could be his last. Now you ready for some ass whooping? Oh, fucking slay. <laughs> Fuck yeah. They ranged high in the sky, and they had to go very far beyond the wall. But eventually, they find the army of the dead. Danny's face is a mixture of shock and horror as she realizes the nightmare was true all along. John on Drogon's back behind Danny says, we should weaken their army while we have the element of surprise. Danny agrees and direct Drogon down at high speed. Viserion follows. They come to about 10 feet above the ground and start shooting fire at the army of the dead. They do about three sweeping passes with Drogon and Viserion crossing each other in the air, kind of figure eight style. So, like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Figure eight style? Yes. Yeah, like a motorcycle exam. Yeah, yeah. exactly. exactly. Yeah. So they kill masses of whites. John's looking around this entire time for the Night King, but cannot find him. On the dragon's fifth sweep, and about 2,000 of the whites killed, John sees the Night King appear on the mountain pass. John tells Danny, and she directs Drogon to fly directly at the Night King with Viserion close behind. They do a crossing X pattern and shoot their fire down 
at the Night King. John, elated, tells her to do it one more time to be safe. As the dragons cross, ready to shoot fire down again, John sees the glimmer of something shiny coming straight at them, full speed. He tries to warn Danny, but it's too late. The Night King's ice spear strikes home through Viserion's chest. The Night King had timed it perfectly so that as his spear struck Viserion, the dragons were crossing in the sky, and when Viserion was hit with the blow, it knocked him into Drogon, causing oh, Drogon to tumble shit, into no. causing Drogon no to, yeah. fucking way. Causing Drogon to tumble into a corkscrew and uh, knocked him yeah, to into his torkscrew. Viserion crashed to the ground, dead before his body hit the surface. When Drogon corrected himself in the air, Danny was able to stay on, but John fell off mid-corkscrew. Oh, and land, landed about ten feet from Viserion's body. John is slow to get up from the impact. Once he gets up to his feet, he is face to face with the Night King. Oh shit! Oh shit! John realizes at this moment, if he kills the Night King here and now, he can end the entire war against the dead before it starts. He unsheaths Longclaw and runs at the Night King. The Night King takes out his ice sword. Fucking idiot. And the battle commences. Oh, shit. The Night King and John engage in a flurry of cuts, thrusts, parries, dodges. It's a beautiful display of swordsmanship. A dance, if you will. John is doing the best he can. After about 15 straight minutes, John is starting to give ground. The Night King doesn't tire. And John doesn't know how much he has left. So in one last mighty swing, in which John put every last ounce of strength into his energy, like the whole swing and blow down, he brings his sword down. The Night King swings the ice sword up, the blades meet in the middle, and Longclaw's blade shatters. Oh, fuck. John falls to his knees defeated. Oh, shit. The Night King walks up to John about to end his life when Drogon swoops in and snatches John off the ground with his claws. <laughs> Drogon starts to fly off and they get about a quarter mile away when another ice spear flies and catches Drogon in the leg that's carrying John. No. Drogon releases John who goes tumbling down to the snow below. John can't catch a fucking break, dude. John musters the energy to get himself up and sees the thousands of whites running at him. John, with no weapon to defend himself since Longclaw shattered and broken, no. is ready to just accept his fate. When out of nowhere, a horse and its rider appear and get John on the back of the horse. They put some distance between themselves and the whites. The rider pulls down his hood, and John Snow sees it's his Uncle Benjamin. Not fully alive or dead, but somewhere in between. Uncle Benjamin? John asks. Benjamin replies, it's been a long time. John says, I thought you were dead. Benjamin says, I am, but certain magic allow me to remain amongst the living as long as I am north of the wall. John says, I don't understand. To which Benjamin replies, we don't have the time for me to explain. The horse starts to begin to slow because it's not used to two full-grown men on its back. Mm -hmm. The whites are starting to catch up. Benjamin says, the horse cannot bear the weight of two grown men, John. You must take him and return to the wall. John replies, I'm not leaving you out here alone. Benjamin dismounts his horse and says, yes, you are. Lights the fireball inside his swinging chain, presses the flame against the horse's skin. 
The horse takes off with John on its back with newfound energy from the pain from the burn. John turns around on the horse to see his uncle killing as many whites as he can until being overrun by sheer numbers. John rode the horse for what could have been one hour or ten. He lost track of time. Eventually he, became, he came to a break in the woods and found himself in front of the wall by Eastwatch near the sea. He could see Drogon perched atop the wall, blowing fire as if to light up the night's darkness. They must have seen him because Tormund and the other wildlings he sent to Eastwatch came on horses and uh, they out of the pass to escort him safely back inside. Once John was dried and warm, Danny went to his chambers. John apologizes for the death of Viserion, to which Danny says she needed to see it to really understand it. John realizes that they were going to, like, she realizes now they're going to need all the help that they can get. The following morning, John addresses the wildlings and orders them to go to Castle Black with the letter that John gives Tormund. He tells Tormund, We need every last man, woman, and child left down in King's Landing. You are all sitting ducks up here, and the wall won't hold them. Get Ed Tollett and the rest of the Night's Watch and get to King's Landing as soon as you can. The dead are coming. Danny and John get on Drogon and start their flight back to King's Landing. This is where we cut to Sam Tarly arriving at King's Landing from the Citadel. He bumps into Bran and asks where he can find John, and Bran tells Sam where John is, and Sam tells Bran that he needs to speak with John, and Bran says, Well, so do I. He was he was putting off because remember the secret that both Bran and and uh, Sam know. Right. Well, they don't both know that they know it right now. Like Bran th- still thinks that John's mm-hmm. a Dornish bastard, not like a, a John Sand being born like a bastard out of wedlock from rape between Rhaegar and right. Lyanna. Exactly. And Sam mm-hmm. doesn't realize that like. Rhaegar is John's dad, so yeah, those, yeah. He, like he just saw that weird thing in the Septon's diary, yeah. right? So uh, it, it, he's like, "I was putting it off, but it's important that he knows." Sam asks about it, and Bran tells him that John is a bastard born in the South from Rhaegar and Lyanna. Sam then tells Bran about the annulment he read in the High Septon's diary and the secret marriage. Bran does his vision thing and realizes John is actually Aegon Targaryen VI, heir to the Iron Throne. John and Danny arrive at King's Landing with the grave news, and they address their people. Danny goes to Sam and thanks him for his help in curing Jorah. So Sam asks for a pardon for stealing books and his family's sword, but then realizes, as Danny tells him, the fate of his father and brother. He has a similar reaction as in the show. So, because remember, he still had to kill the Tarleys back then right. because they didn't yeah. do it. So, yeah. yeah. Danny, Danny gathers her trusted followers in, in her council. Danny tells Varys to send a raven to their mutual friend in Pentos. <laughs> she then gives a secret mission to Jorah and Yara and gives them necessary men to accomplish this mission. She also gives Sir Davos and Varys, Varys a secret mission and grants them the necessary tools to complete that as well. So, Jorah and Yara have a specific mission. Davos and Varys all so have a secret mission, and they all leave King's Landing on these missions. Far north, the Night King raises Viserion from the dead. Keep in mind, Viserion's not under the water. He just fell into the ground like a normal dead thing now, so we don't have to have that weird, stupid moment where all the dead <laughs> swim down and pull him out from the chains Target and all that gen- bullshit. Get snorkel gear. Right. He, <laughs> yeah. just, he just was dead on the ground. and he, Even though they couldn't swim the whole time, yeah, no, but they're diving in the yeah, water. Exactly. Like, yeah, I gotcha. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so he's just dead on the mountainside, <laughs> yeah, and he raises him from yeah. the dead, so that's great. 
The Night King raises Viserion from the dead, gets to the wall with his army, starts blasting the wall with ice fire until the wall collapses. The dead march on Westeros and season seven. Awesome, badass ending to season seven. That's epic. So good. So far, so awesome. good, right? Yeah, that would be. That would have been an awesome way to do it too, because then it wouldn't have been so long as if they did make ten seasons, so they could have shortened it. Yeah. But it would have gotten covered the everything. Attention it deserved. That's perfect. That would have been awesome, man. For sure. Hundred percent. Now this is the fun part where I've got to kind of go in between a couple pages here. Oh yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Now, season eight, episode one. The big thing here, now that they're back at King's Landing, is just building their defenses. Mm-hmm. So season one is just, and I'm sorry, season eight, episode one, <laughs> is just focused on Gendry building the dragon glass weapons. Mm-hmm. Okay, He's building dragon glass weapons, and while he's doing that, all of the, all of the northerners and all the high gardens are building the trenches. Remember how in Winterfell they had those like wooden trenches yep. out in front? Now they've had some time to prepare. So they're building him. They're getting themselves in the best possible position that they can be, given the situation that's coming for them. They're building towers coming forward as well. And Arya goes down to meet Gendry. Talks about the spear that she wants. They have that kind of same interaction. You know, the little get the dirty on, all that fun stuff. Oh, but, yeah. but she wants that dragon glass. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the dragon glass spear. Yep. And you know, he you know kind of pushes it off until she shows how crazy talented she is and throws like all those throwing daggers into the same spot and i'll get right on it (laughs) yeah yeah. he's got many faces yeah exactly Mm -hmm. that exact theme happens and she they're all building battlements outside it's not only the repair the city they're Mm -hmm. doing everything they can because keep in mind in the south it's going to be a lot harder than taking the north because the south is so much warmer. The winter's got to come harder. And they're going to be in King's Landing, which is raised up like a tower above it. So mm-hmm. it's a, a way better defensible position than Winterfell. Anyways, gotcha. right? Yeah, right. So this is all happening in episode one. And then the way episode one of season eight ends out for me, Arya closes her eyes and reaches out with her mind. And you don't even know what happens. Like that's how it ends. She closes her eyes and reaches out with her mind. It'll come up in a second. Well, not in a second. I think I can see where this is going. Yeah. Now, season eight, episode two. Everything is, they're still, they're preparing for this big, long coming war. They're training in the yard. Like, they're getting, making sure their their soldiers are all ready. Remember, the High Garden Army's still there with them. Mm -hmm. The Northerners are there. They're doing their best to train with everybody. And uh, from Blackwater Bay, you see a big <laughs> ship coming back with a large Kraken sigil. Oh, fuck. Who do yeah. you think it is? You're on Greyjoy, coming back for more of the pussy tang. <laughs> yeah! So, we see a head of a very familiar face peeking over the, the, the mast of a ship. The ship starts to come closer. Daenerys gets her dragons ready. Her dragon, because it's only Drogon. Remember, Rhaegal got killed by Euron, mm-hmm. and Viserion got killed by the Night King. Right, yeah. Right? So she gets Drogon ready. When they realize it's Euron's head attached to a, a spear. No way! How <laughs> the fuck? That Jorah, Yara, and Daria Naharis no are at the way, front of the dude. ship with Euron's head that is on excellent. the spear. 
That is fantastic. So the secret mission was this. Varys sent a letter to Illyrio Mopantis telling them that they had taken the throne and that she needs all of Illyrio Mopantis' ships. Yeah. So Yara, with her naval abilities, because she's, you know, the Iron Island, she's the, she's the, new, she's the new bitch, right? She's the new yeah. top bitch yeah. of the, of the yeah, water, the seas. Yeah. She, with Jorah, go over to Pentos, collect the ships, and bring them to Marine. Dude, that's awesome. Because Mar- because Daenerys also had a, like Vera send a letter to Lyra Mopantis and a letter to Daryna Harris, and so just to make sure that Dario didn't think it was a trap, she sent Jorah with Yara. Oh, so shit, that's Dario awesome. and Dario that and Jorah, Jorah know each other. That is fantastic. Yeah, that's right? awesome. Yeah, that's great. Okay, so that part makes sense there. Now the crazy part is when they arrive in Marine. They, they, the, Dario's already got all the second sons ready. Yeah. They all load the ships that Illyrio Mopantis gave them. So what did I do? I brought in Illyrio Mopantis again, which they forgot about in the show. Yeah. And I brought in Dario again with the second sons. Because Danny realizes, remember, she realizes she needs all the help mm-hmm. that she can get when yeah. she saw the army of the dead. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So when they all load up on the ships, this is the crazy part. Dario goes to Jorah and says, A strange woman with a masked face told me you would be arriving here and she told me to tell you these words the one who escapes justice you can find in the shadowlands so who does the girl with the mask the uh karth quaith yeah quaith quaith yeah, yeah the, i'm like the karth yep. <laughs> yeah the so she gets brought back in and mm-hmm. she gives a weird like prophecy she doesn't tell him exactly what happens mm-hmm. but you can find them in the shadowlands yeah. Jorah realized because like she knows like Jorah is the one that spoke to her back right. in Karth. Yeah. No, that's so awesome. Jorah knows to take it seriously. Dude, that's badass. So then when they go to Ashai, they see Euron Greyjoy's ship there. Oh shit! And it takes yeah. Dario, Yara, and Jorah to kill Euron Greyjoy because he's that much of a badass. But they get the job done. That's badass. Fucking that's cool fucking is that? Awesome. That is fucking awesome. So now when you see that yeah. big cracking ship, you think, oh, fuck, here comes Euron ready to fuck shit up. Yeah, dude. I thought it's his ship it up, dude. with his head on that a spear awesome. and the second sons on the ship <laughs> ready to get Dario! Yeah, yeah. Fuck yeah, baby. 100%. That's fucking sick. That so is badass. Now the second sons have arrived in King's Landing yeah, to join against the Long Night. And uh, you know that they were at the head of Euron's ship, and it was it was just it was a beautiful moment for me when I thought about writing that. It was just it that came together so perfect. Fucking awesome. So now Euron Greyjoy is dead. We don't have to worry about him anymore. Now we've got even more people that are going to help us mm-hmm. against this war. Uh, That's the dead. Awesome. They arrive in there. The second sons come off the dock. They pour into King's Landing. We've got more people to fight against the army of the dead. That's epic. Now that ends out like when they come aboard and they plant Euron's head next to Cersei's on the red keep like a spike next to the red keep so on one side of the gate you have Cersei's head on the other side you have Euron's head that's fucking crazy that's insane it's dope right that's awesome though that's badass now we get into season 8 episode 3 Varys and Ser Davos now return to King's Landing with the new Prince of Dorne and all the Dornish army oh shit fuck yeah they bring Arthur Dane's sword Dawn with them with hopes that one who is worthy can wield it. Does anyone remember who might need a sword right now? John. <laughs> Your little boy, where's Johnny? <laughs> so they arrive in King's Landing, and they're getting all together. They've got this sword on. 
like Arthur Dane's sword, no one's been able to use it because it's it's like a legendary sword. They won't like you said they don't just pass it down mm-hmm. to like sons and stuff. It's until someone worthy can yeah. wield it. So they bring it just in case because they know the prophecy came true of the long night coming. Mm-hmm. So they bring it with them. That's great. Now also, the wildlings and remaining Night's Watch arrive at King's Landing as well. Who do you think are with them? The Night's Watch from King's Landing? No, the, the, the Night's Watch and the wildlings from the wall come down to King's oh. Landing. Who do you think is with them? Tormund? Well, he, he's one of the wildlings. So. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I'll tell you. Ghost, Nymeria, and the entire oh, pack of yeah, direwolves. Because remember back talk, in episode yeah. one, she reached yeah, out with her mental connection? Badass. So they come down okay, from it. the that's wall sick. with a yeah. pack of direwolves, Ghost and Nymeria, ready so to badass. rock and roll. That's fucking awesome. So they are, right now, they are as ready as they will ever be. They've got the full horde of Doth ready. Remember, they took barely any losses in the war against Cersei. Yeah, yeah. We've got full army of Dothraki. Full army of Unsullied, the Second Sons, the Dornish, Highgarden, Northerners, Wildlings, Night's Watch, Direwolves, and Drogon. Dude, that's badass. Bro, you don't get any more ready than that. No, you don't get any more <laughs> ready than that. So. Are you are you ready, though? That's the question. Are you ready? Are you really ready? So, to close out episode three of season eight, Melisandre appears. And she is brings goes into King's Landing as well. Mm-hmm. Sam and Bran find John because remember, guys, in King's Landing there's a Godswood as well. Remember when Sir Dantos was going to go find mm-hmm. uh, Sansa in the, the Godswood? So right now their plan is kind of similar. We're going to lead the Night King to the Godswood, but the thing is, is like it's going to take the army of the dead a fuck ton of shit to get to the mm-hmm. Godswood because of the the fortifications they've built and how King's Landing's yeah. got fortifications around it already and it's it's already past, it's way past the red keep so they are going to really need to do everything they can like the army of dead is going to have to work for it if they're going to get to brand on the god's will. that's badass yeah right so they come up with the same sort of plan mira and theon because remember howland reed's there too with the house reed mm-hmm. like with the northerners yeah. came down so mira reed and theon are going to be like covering brand there at the yeah. god's wood mm-hmm. everyone else is kind of stationed out like Sansa and Brienne are gonna be in like the Tower of the Hand, like like just yeah. trying to stay out of the thing. But Shield's there to defend it, her if she needs to. We got Missande and Grey Worm. Like there's no crypts or anything, you know. We got Tyrion, we got Varys. They're all finding places where they can basically wait out the storm and hopefully not have to get involved yeah. too much involved with the battle. But you know, because they've got so many armies, they've got the Dothraki, mm-hmm. all the one that I just mentioned, right? So once they all come up with their plan. Bran and John and Sam take John to the side mm-hmm. and tell John who he really is yeah. right before the long night starts. Gotcha. John is nervous, but he doesn't waste any time. He does the right thing as what John always would have done, which I don't know why they fucked it up in the show. He takes <laughs> he, as soon as he finds out, he takes Danny to the side, tells him what she knows. First, mm-hmm. she doesn't believe it, but yeah. remember, like they're getting their stuff in the way there. Yeah. Howland Reed approaches. And corroborates that story because he was with Ned Stark Got at it. the Tower of Joy. So he he's there like, no, go. like this this is this is true. Mm-hmm. And Danny starts to get like real frustrated and like about to lose his shit a little bit. And John's like, it doesn't matter. If you keep true to your promise, I'll be the king in the north, and I will reside over the northern kingdoms like you promised me. I will not press my claim to the throne, and you will guard over the six kingdoms. And so she's like, fuck, okay, deal. 
Yeah. Like, like she's, yeah, she's like, that's as good yeah. as a compromise as you're gonna that's get. That's as good as it's gonna get. Like, that's as good as that's it's gonna as get. That's as good as it's gonna get, yeah. Right. And so, when they, the, the way it closes out, as Danny agrees to John, John pulls her in and kisses her, and this is the first time that they have any mm-hmm. sort of interaction, like sexually or, or physical attraction wise. Yeah. He kisses her. Oh yeah, moving so, in the club. Yeah, man. Stuff. Yeah, <laughs> fuck yeah. So that's how uh, season eight, episode three, concludes: is John kissing Danny, and you gotcha. can kind of infer what happens from there. Yeah, Everyone right. getting ready for the long night, getting their last one good one in, right? Tyrion sitting <laughs> outside, you know, watching, <laughs> watching from the people. So oh, fuck yeah! I'm about to get into the big stuff right here, guys. I'm gonna need to take a big drink. Drink with me, brother. Oh yeah, Malice in the Chow. Malice in the Chow. Yeah. I drink all mine already. <laughs> yeah, it sounded so, real fast. Yeah, good stuff. Season eight, episode four. The long night has come. Oh yeah. They and the dawn after is about to rise when. They see dark, swirling clouds coming from north to south down to King's Landing. They start making their big horns announcing, Oh, they're coming. Oh. And Paul reviewed the dead are coming, oh, yeah. the dead are coming, whatever. So we have the got dead it all. are coming. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> we've got it all lined up. We've got the same thing kind of happening. So we've got the Dothraki army at front going to take full lead against these guys like they did in the show. But remember, this is a King's Landing now. We got the dire wolves in between each of the Dothraki, kind of like just staggered in between. So you got the dire wolves and Dothraki gonna attack the first thing. We got the Unsullied that are gonna be behind them protecting the, the battlements of King's Landing. And we've got as much as we can. We got fucking the Dornish in the back there. We got High Ground, we have the Northern Army, like we're we're as good as we're gonna get. But the long night has come. Yeah. Okay. So John, he's tried to get as many dragon glass weapons as he could. But he doesn't feel right holding any of them. They're not working for him. It's not the right balance. He feels lost without Longclaw. Mm-hmm. So, in one final meeting of all of the, I would say, rulers, <laughs> I would say, <laughs> uh, it's Daenerys, Jon, Prince of Dorne, and Olena from High Garden, and they bring in, they bring in the box. And the Prince of Dorne asks, "Is there?" To ask Jon. It doesn't ask him. It tells him, I, I, hear you, I hear you need a weapon. Mm-hmm. And John replies, I do. He opens up the big like crate, and, and you see <laughs> yeah. and you see it's the sword Dawn, which you, you can see the shining light from it, right? And the Prince of Dorne says, the way the people talk about you, bastard. <laughs> 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 the greatest swordsman oh, yeah. that ever walked. <laughs> right. yeah. I wanted to make that joke, oh, but like, it's great. very similar. It's like, like, it's like you know, yeah. from what we've heard of you, you're yeah. one of the greatest swordsmen that ever lived. That's and it would be an honor if you, if you were to take the sword. That's awesome. John grabs the, the handle of the sword Dawn, and immediately a rush of heat flows through his entire mm-hmm. body. And then the sword kind of sparks. And it's not quite like a flaming sword that Beric has, but there's a heat quality to it, and it's a shining thing. So, mm-hmm. the the Lightbringer comes into play here. <laughs> like, yeah, now, yeah, like, exactly. So it doesn't get forgot yeah, about lost in there. So yeah, right. That's good stuff. So the the heat rushes through his entire body. He holds the sword in his hand, and it fits like a glove. Like it was an extension of his arm. Like he was meant to hold it this entire time. The long night begins. <laughs> so bad Boom. Ass. Uh, yeah. yeah, guys, it's a fucking slaughterhouse. The dead are just overrunning everything. 
it, it means nothing. The Dothraki, you know, even with Melisandre chanting and lighting the trenches and lighting the Iraqs and everything that they can do with the new battlements they've built, it doesn't matter. The army of the dead came down from the south, took any stragglers along. They are at least 150,000 strong right now. And they're assaulting King's Landing because they're an enemy that does not tire and does not fall on the battlefield. The only way they die is through dragon glass, valyrian steel, or fire. And everyone has their, their weapons now. And they're using them. It doesn't matter. It's bleak. They're fucked. All right? So, eventually, after we're seeing all these crazy things happen, like, our heroes, they put up a good five minutes of battle. Yeah. <laughs> and then it doesn't matter. Imagine seeing this on screen, just armies of the dead climbing up the tower to the Red Keep. You're just seeing it happen. Like, them, like, like, like climbing up it, just mindless beasts. You know, all, like, we start getting to the part where important characters are starting to meet their fate. Okay. Brienne holds as long as she can defending Sansa. She's taken many, uh, many killing blows. Jorah Mormont, he's not next to Danny. He's fighting alongside Dario, but they're taking on the White Walker generals. They're right. they're fighting like mm -hmm. the fucking hard motherfuckers. The whites, the yeah, white, the, the whites. actual the others. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and so Jorah starts to take some really big big shots as well. You know, Grey Worm. Trying to defend Masande, he's doing as good as he can, but again, you can only do so much. Beric, he's he's going down too. Uh, Melisandre, she gets overran. No, dude, no way. So, now we get to this point where we're starting to see a lot of our 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 people fucked up, like they're they're dying, and just like it should have been, we should be feeling like fucking no hope. We're fucked, right? So now the Night King flies over and goes to, he's on Viserion, right? He goes to the Godswood, flies over the battlements of King's Landing and goes downwards to the Godswood, yeah. expecting to, to see, then fight and kill Bran. So what they had done is they had kind of almost put a line in the sand. It's Arya, it's Jon, it's Daenerys on Drogon. And, like, so basically, their best options are fighting. Arya's a fucking beast assassin. Jon's the best swordsman. You got the Prince of Dorne there as well. And you got Danny on Drogon. And the Night King has a showdown with all of them at once. What the fuck? <laughs> Holy so, shit. What ends up happening, and this is going to be really, really cool. <clears throat> During this long night fight with the Night King, Jon, Arya, and Danny, at one point, I was told you I was promising this was going to come up. Drogon and Viserion shoot fire at each other. Like, and we get this Dragon Ball Z moment. Remember when... Yeah! When, yeah, when they like blasted yeah. at um, each free, other. Frieza and Goku so hit Kamehameha. So, so sick, dude. dude. That's so badass. So, like I said, they, they collides midstream, very similar to DBZ when two energy blasts hits. Fire collides with ice, and a big explosion ensues, and both dragons like kind of are, are knocked back from the force. While Viserion is knocked back, you see a dragonglass scorpion spear fly through the air and catch Viserion in the chest. 
look over and you see Bronn from the tower of the Red Keep shooting the the Dragonglass spear that ended Viserion once and for all. So no, now yeah, that's crazy. So yeah. now the Night King is on his two feet alone with his ice sword against John, Danny on Drogon, and Arya. Viserion's dead, dead and gone because it was a Dragonglass spear. No, not bad. a spear, but like Dragonglass scorpion. Scorpion, bolt. yeah, dude, that's badass. So Bronn did his thing there, right? That's sick, yeah. Awesome. So they all, three of them, trying to attack him at once. Uh, Danny's throwing fire. Obviously, the fire is not affecting him. John with Lightbringer. Boom! Like they have, they have that kind of amazing sword bite. But this time, John's not knocked off balance. You know, from falling from a dragon. He's had time to rest. He's got a sword that's not gonna break when the fucking Ice King's ice sword yeah. attacks him. They have this badass like sword fight, and like this time, none of them are giving an inch. On top of that, Arya's trying to come from the back. But guys, when I tell you this Night King is like an unimaginable villain, like he's got superpowers and he's just unbeatable, this is what I'm talking about. He's fighting Arya and Jon and Danny at full force and holding them all at bay. He's fighting them off and none of them can get, get an inch on him at all. Finally, uh, uh, what he does is uh, Danny gets off Drogon, realizing she's going to need to do something mm -hmm. as well see if maybe the third person on foot can get him so yeah. she takes a dragon glass spear jumps off drogon runs at the back of the night king with her spear she's not a warrior she doesn't know what she's doing but she's thinking if i can get this dragon glass spear into this fucking night king i can end this oh, once and for all so the night king's back is to her as he's his he's just fighting off Arya like yeah. and and john and he's oh, just shit, holding them basically like arthur dane against those five yeah, guys but it's the night king against dude. fucking dude and the it's night king is just a bad ass so uh, daenerys gets as close as she possibly can it's about to stab the night king he turns around with inhumane Ooh, speed yeah. speed grabs the spear breaks it off at the hood at the at the, at the handle and shoves it into danny's heart the dragonglass spear enters oh. Danny's heart. Shit. John, taking advantage of the moment of the Night King making sure that the dragonglass spear entered her, puts Lightbringer through the back of the Night King's chest, like through the through his back, protruding through him. Lightbringer, the prince that was promised, brought the dawn, kills the Night King. So the Night King falls into glass. As John had put him through, so he went through like the back shoulder and through the Night King's quote unquote heart. Lightbringer did. John defeated the Night King, sent him to the glass. All the dead fall to the ground, and the long night is over. Until you realize how was a Night King made? Exactly. I was wondering if you were going to bring that up. Dragon yeah. glass to the heart. Mm -hmm. is what made the Night King. Oh, shit. So Daenerys okay. opens her eyes blue. Oh, shit. I didn't even see that coming. That's fucking badass. So oh, she goes mad, gosh, but dude. in a different way. The prophecy comes true, mad in a different way. She's now the Night Queen. Now, as she, as, as she was dying because the dragonglass entered her heart, so she no longer exists as she is. So she's fading into the shadow realm or fading into the um, the abyss or whatever comes after death. And she falls into the arms of, of Khal Drogo, 
bringing that one prophecy oh, back around shit, where once all like the you will fall into a great shadow well, <laughs> well, that's like great. not even just that or but like press through a great shadow is what they were saying for that one but right yeah, and no, so also crazy. the miriam Azdur, like he'll be returned to you once yeah. all these things happen well guess what all those things did happen the mountains <laughs> blew in the wind when viserion destroyed the wall the great so grass sea went dry when the like with the dothraki and like you know the the sun set in the east and rose in the west because john is the new heir like yeah. all those things happen and so as she passes into the the, the, the shadow realm or whatever the the death like you know yeah. whatever, whatever happens after you die she gets to be at peace with cal drogo that she, that she was promised yeah. for this entire series problem is we're still fucked in real life. Yeah, like you're still fucked in real so, life, bro. Danny, which yeah. is not really Danny anymore, and Drogon consents. It's not really his mother. Mm-hmm. It's it's this this being. Thing. We've like got thing. we've got the Night Queen. That's fucking. Crazy, what does she do? Man. Raises her arms, and all the people that were dead, that were fighting against it. So the regular army of the dead is dead now because he killed the Night King, who yeah. they turned. But all the ones that yeah, had just turned, awesome. the ones that, the ones that who so just badass. died. The ones that were like still like were skin and like were one like you know for example like like Brienne and all them and like the ones who had just died defending King's Landing, those were risen from the dead. Mm-hmm. So the regular army of the dead's gone. Now Danny rises her own army of the dead and they're their own friends and family that they had just had That's just had and in their minds they had just fucking gotten through this long night, right? Like they so, are fucked, dude. Dude, fuck. they've got like nothing left. Like everyone's gone. So. The sad part is, while this happens, no one's expecting it. Everyone sees all the dead drop, and everyone re- relaxes. So when Danny raises the dead, no one knows what to expect. So everyone thinks that the people that were dead aren't really dead. They're like, oh, they, they might still be alive. Until they turn around, their eyes are blue, and Brienne kills Sansa. Jorah stabs Daryon Harris in the back. Because he's dead. Because like all these people yeah. are dead. Like Brienne's dead. Jorah's dead. Grey Worm's dead. Barrick's dead. Uh, Melisandre's dead. Podrick's dead. Uh, oh, dirty Podrick. Mira, Mira's dead from this whole thing. Mm-hmm. So, dead Brienne. She comes like, comes back as a White Walker. Kills Sansa. Jorah as a White Walker kills Dario. Stabs him in the back. Grey Worm protecting his own fucking girl, Masande, ends up killing Masande. Everyone's fucking dying, bro. Barrett, <laughs> Everyone's dying. Barrett kills the hound. Stabs the hound back. Melisandre kills Varys, bringing that prophecy to true. Remember how she said we both have to die in this strange country? Oh my gosh. She kills Varys. Uh, Mira kills Theon. Now, guys, keep in mind what I'm doing here. I know I'm, I'm naming out main characters and their deaths, but they're all kind of full circle. Brienne's whole arc was to protect Sansa, and mm-hmm. she had she just killed Sansa. Jorah and Dario had their differences fighting for Danny's affection throughout the series, and Jorah just killed Dario. Well, dead Jorah just killed Dario. Grey Worm, like Masande was his girl. That's who we fought for. That's what his life was revolved around. He kills Masande. Barrick and the Hound already had their like uh, first fight, and now Barrick gets his revenge and kills the Hound, even though it's de- dead Barrick. Uh, Melisandre, like I said, that prophecy comes true when she said we both have to die in this strange country, That's and crazy. kills Varys. Uh, Mira. She kills Theon, and why is that a full circle? Remember who Mira and and uh, Jojen and Bran and Recon were running from? Theon when he took Winterfell. Mm-hmm. So all of these things kind of come into a big full circle. Now, now how the fuck are they gonna right, live? <laughs> right, John realizes what he has to do and tries to rush at Danny and kill Danny. 
Drogon doesn't let him. He basically almost like Viserion stopped John. He, Drogon throws a like a stream of fire, making it so John can't pass it. And, you because know, he still thinks it's like its mother, but it's kind not of right. Kind of thing. Exactly. So gotcha. he's trying to protect it, and so he sees John as the biggest threat there. So Danny starts making her way to the Godswood, walks him through, and she she picks up any old weapon she sees on the ground. Doesn't matter what weapon it is, but then, you know, she's got a clear path because. The dead people just killed Theon. Like Mira just killed Theon. There's no one protecting Bran. They're all dead. <laughs> like all like like the people that they just came back. Like the ones who protected against the original army of the dead came back as dead people. Now killing the rest of the living. <laughs> you know what this is? This is when the Patriots were on that goal line and then the Seahawks intercepted it. <laughs> That's Dude. what that shit is. So then, Daenerys. Uh, you, you know, John's not getting there. John's trapped by Drogon. Like like all the all the living. There's no one to protect it. It's Danny against Bran. Danny goes to, goes to end Bran once and for all, and then we get our girl Arya Stark pulling her Arya maneuver. Fuck yeah! So she does the same exact That's thing with so the dragon bad. glass spear, and it and comes it, full circle now because keep in mind this dragon glass. I'm sorry, the Catspaw dagger, dagger is yeah. dragon glass and Valyrian mm-hmm. steel. Yeah. And Daenerys was made just made as the Night King from dragon glass, and she's from Valyria. She's Valyrian descent. Mm-hmm. So it's like a full circle. Though she gets killed by the Catspaw dagger because it was it was kind of down to her family. It was yeah. kind of in the Targaryen. Really? Stuff. Yeah. I mean, we talked so, about that on the show so many times. Yeah, that's so, so she goes so in there, drops awesome. it, puts it in in uh, Danny's heart, and so blue eyes. So bad. Boom, dead. Fuck! I did not see that coming, man. So did not see that. Coming. I wanted to see it coming at some point, somewhere. Not from necessarily even you, like. I was thinking maybe at some point, like, someone would bring something like that up, but I just didn't think any of us were going to have that happen. That is fucking amazing. Pretty cool, right? That's pretty awesome. That so now what prophecies cool. are answered? The Mary Mazdor Caldrogo prophecy, mm-hmm. the prince that was promised is John. He brought the original Dawn. The prince that was promised of being Dawn because he killed the Night King. Yeah. But the Night King created a new fucking Night yeah. Queen. So Daenerys yeah. was the Night Queen. So that, that prophecy is fulfilled. Brown eyes, green eyes, blue eyes is fulfilled and it's for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now... The, the, I added another prophecy with Quaif so we could bring her back into the fold with like the mm-hmm. you know the one who escapes justice you can find in the Shadowlands. Yeah. So right. I, I made that mm-hmm. one up and I've got one more that's gonna come up here pretty soon. But anyways, Arya does her moment, grabs the, the Caspar dagger. You know, Danny grabs it. She like her hand and then she drops it down below and stabs her in the heart, and officially ends the long night. Yeah, it's um, so badass. Yeah. So that happens there. Perfect. The next episode, season eight, episode five. What it really does, it just kind of shows you, like the cost of this war against the dead and what everyone lost, right? And you don't have a so, queen now, <laughs> bro. I'm telling you. So they're disposing of their dead. They're celebrating their victory of the living. They do a full counting of the dead armies. They have a banquet and feast for the ages. But right now, obviously. The Hound's dead. Barrick's dead. Danny's dead. Grey Worm's dead. Jorah's dead. Uh, Sansa's dead. Theon's dead. Mira's dead. Varys is dead. <laughs> uh, Brienne is dead. <laughs> uh, Podrick's dead. Dario Naharis is dead. So, Missandei's dead. Melisandre's dead. And... We are down to the bare bones of the rest of the army. The army, the, the Ornish army, has has 
barely anything left. The Northerners are barely anything left of their army. Their people are safe, but like no, no more fighting people. Um, yeah, they uh, they do a full counting and High Garden is no more. They destroy all the like. I, Olena dies in the long in that second long night. So basically, what we have now, the remaining of the few Dothraki, be unsullied with no leader. No one knows what that's going to happen to them. You know, we've got all all of Highgarden's army done. The Northerners are depleted. Uh, Dorne is like on last legs. Like there's barely any wildlings left, and Night's Watch is you know, all all gone too. Um, you know, the, the dire wolves, they did everything that they could, but, you know, most of them are dead. <laughs> like, <laughs> fuck, dude, man, they got fucked. They sure yeah. did. So that's all that season five is doing, a full counting uh, of all episode the dead. Episode five, right? Yeah, yeah, season eight, episode five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. season eight, episode five. We're is not counting. going back to the, the <laughs> yeah, faith right? in the crown. <laughs> oh, yeah, that so much. <laughs> yeah, and so we, they burn all of the, the bodies. They address, you know, kind of John has that really big sweet speech, like, you know, people don't know who died here but like you know they're only alive because of the people who gave their lives you know and even like his sister he had took you know his own personal toll on it with losing his sister losing his friends his everything everyone like like the majority of people died there's very very few people that remain so season five closes out with you know them celebrating the fact that they're alive the ones who are still left they mourning the 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 people that they had to later rest um you know the the northerners are taking care of theirs. High Garden's taking care of theirs, even though they're pretty much gone. The Dothraki do what they ever they do is their custom. Unsullied the same thing, you know. And you're right; it kind of leaves into turmoil. Well, what's going to happen? Our queen's gone. All right. So that leads us into season eight, episode six, which is the final episode, or yeah, final episode of the series. And. Basically, it's 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 obviously a little bit of a time lapse. Let's say like a month or so had went by from there, mm-hmm. and they kind of are at that big council trying to figure out well what the heck's going to happen. Like, you know, what ends up happening is John addresses the Northerners, and he says like 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 uh, he tells them you know we we have earned our independence. So he goes down there just to make sure that whatever they decide make sure that 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 is stuck in there because yeah. hey listen you gave us this now keep in mind that's this is going to be actually i'm going to save it for the very end so <laughs> uh so they all go down there <laughs> and they all start having their council thing and without getting you know too convoluted with it it ends with them naming aegon targaryen the sixth the king of the andals the roinar and the first men Lord of the Seven Kingdoms and Protector of the Realm. Jon Snow is now the full king of everything. He addresses the Northerners and tells them, I know that you know we earned our independence, but now that Sansa's gone, there's no Lady of Winterfell. Arya's going to go west of Westeros to go do what she needs to do. So just like Varys had predicted, Jon Snow is the one person that can keep the North in the Seven Kingdoms because they all trust and follow him. So now Jon Snow... Aegon Targaryen the Sixth. There's a Targaryen on the Iron Throne. Actually, comes back into play on why he would even be Aegon Targaryen. Yeah. He is now. Now keep him on. This is where it's really gonna fuck you, right? He it's uh, he's he's the Lord Protector, King of all the Seven Kingdoms. Now his right hand side is Drogon, because Drogon didn't die in the in the, in the night the long night. He just stopped Jon from trying to kill Danny. Now that Danny's gone, Drogon has nowhere to go. And so now Aegon Targaryen. With Drogon, who was supposed to be the second coming of Balerion, now now yeah, control the Seven Kingdoms. Sick. 
Bran now, doesn't become well, king, man? Bran doesn't become king because, <laughs> because what happens is Bran becomes master of whisperers. Oh, hell yeah. Because he, remember, guys, he's the three-eyed raven. He can see any and all threats coming. <clears throat> He's the three-eyed raven. Yeah, that's So he's the awesome. perfect master of whispers. That's perfect. That is a perfect... Tyrion becomes his hand of the king. Sam is the grand maester. Master of coin and warden of the west, Bronn, because Tyrion kept his word. Oh, yeah. Gave him casterly rock. And remember, oh, yeah. Bronn proved mm-hmm. very vi- like very valuable by killing Viserion with a scorpion bolt full of dragon glass. Mm-hmm. Or else that, you know, Darcy and Night King would still be on Viserion fucking shit up. Yeah. We had that, like, awesome Dragon Ball Z mm-hmm. energy blast moment, and then he took advantage, right? Yeah. So Bronn absolutely earned Master of Coin and Warden of the West. Uh, master of War, Tormund. And now, so that is their full council. They have officially peace in the seven kingdoms the north agrees underneath their rule because they followed john from the beginning and trust in him as their king and john rules the rest of it because he is the rightful heir to it because he was they they, they give up the information brandon and sam they they go back and tell everyone and it spreads that john is the rightful heir as he is the true-born son of Rhaegar targaryen and lyanna stark so westeros gets the strength and nobility of a Targaryen with the honorability of a Stark as their rightful king. That is badass. That and is so awesome. What you see is Jon Snow with Lightbringer or Arthur Dane's sword, but Lightbringer take a seat very similar to here. This is going to come full circle. Very, very similar to how Ned Stark is sitting here on the yeah, Iron Throne. That's awesome. Jon sits on the Iron Throne with Lightbringer head down. With Drogon standing like like standing next to him, as the fierce Targaryen, the king of the Seven Kingdoms, and that closes out Game of Thrones. But then, after you kind of get that like fade off, you see winds blowing, and then the screen kind of cuts back over the wall, and miles beyond the wall, you see a toddler walking alone by itself. Oh, toddler finds a, a finds a deer dead on the ground touches the deer the deer's eyes light blue. oh fuck dude we get a full picture of the baby it's the baby from craster's keep that we see in the very big like like in the like episode three where he touches the baby's that head and the great. baby turns blue the baby is able to grow because they didn't kill it it just turned it into one of them so now the baby is going to become the, you know, the new Night King. Yeah. All you see is him by himself. That he was touches awesome. the thing. Was and so now the, ba- the baby situation, like the Crossroads Keep baby, comes, becomes a new threat. That it, then that closes out the entire show. So what that does is it leaves room opening for more to come back to later on, way down the road. So badass, man. That was awesome. That was really fucking good. good. I, was, I was impressed because I was really... Um, you know, I'm such a like Danny's my queen through and through, always will be. So as much as I never wanted to see her go, because I never had the balls to do that, <laughs> like I wanted someone to do it. So that's awesome. Um, but do you like how like she went mad, but in the wrong, different way? Because yeah. she turned into the Night Queen. Yeah. So that's there's actually a lot of similarities between your rewrite and mine. Um, yeah, it's it's so it's just funny how that always plays out. But that here's my thing, man. Like bidding off and wise. So we worked our ass off, but we did this in two weeks. 
<laughs> they did that. It took them two years, and they still couldn't come up with what we did. And to keep in mind, bro, what, like what you told me when we were talking about this, like it's not like they had to worry about directing or acting or editing. All they had to do was write. That's all they had to do, and that's exactly what we did. And I'm, I'm very happy with what we've come up with. For myself, I believe I answered all the prophecies and all the mm-hmm. things. I brought all their characters back into play. Yeah. Um. So I, I was that, that was my rewrite, guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. No, that's, you knocked it out of the park with that. That was badass, man. Appreciate you. Um. I think we've done. I mean, I don't know anyone out there that can say we didn't do Game of Thrones justice. I mean, I gotta say, like, it's it's heartbreaking to see it go, <laughs> but at the same time, like, we can't say we didn't leave anything we didn't leave anything off the table i know and like like you said it might be sad to see go but dude i'm so ready for the next thing and well, so i think we should do you. guys like let's let's leave our last thoughts about game of thrones man like where do we think it's gonna go from here i know that you know they have got the new show coming out in 2022 yeah, yeah. um house of dragon and you know i was kind of joking with you too i think they're probably going to make a spin-off of just following aria called west of westeros but you know, with Winds of Winter coming out like, like in the next year or so, hopefully, you know, knock on wood for yeah, knock our on boy wood. George. Yeah. Like, you know, where do you think it kind of goes from here? It, it's going to be interesting with Winds of Winter because I was watching an interview with him and he was like, it ends that kind of way, but it doesn't and it does and it doesn't. So I think it's going to probably end. I mean, who knows when the problem is with that. Like then you still have Dream of Spring, yeah. so and it's taken him seven years to write one book. So who it's really taking him more? His last one was in 2011, so it's been nine years, bro. Nine years, it's crazy. I really think here's the thing about Game of Thrones too is it's been such a successful show despite whether or not people like the last season or not. You can't deny the numbers it brought in. It um it's gonna be a a badass coming up 2022 House because of 2022. Not only do you have House of Dragon though. Because you have all these other shows trying to compete with it now. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have House of Dragon. We're going to have The Witcher still. Mandal- we're going to have uh, The Mandalorian. Uh, we're going to have The Lord of the Rings coming out with their show. Oh. And then even on top of that, now you just had that whole um, new show called Cruel or whatever that just came out on Netflix. Cursed? Cursed. Yeah. <laughs> Cruel. <laughs> it's actually based on a book because I didn't even know that. But like, it's like they're all trying to come out with these different like, like, things. And to me, it's almost like they're trying to make their answer to Game of Thrones. Like, like they, they want to be the next game because yeah. like, this was the show that like this was the show to beat for many years until obviously the last season had its uh, had its ending and there was a lot of issues with it. But what do you think? Bro, do you think I mean, I think that's it. Like, honestly, I think that's it, man. Do you think any show has a chance at like? For sure. The Witcher, I would I, say. I, I think the ones, if you're going to ask me when some of the best ones of kind of creating the same sort of magic that Game of Thrones did, it's either going to be Mandalorian or The Witcher. Yeah. Like, those are the two biggest ones here. But, you know, I don't want to be too disrespectful to Game of Thrones. This is the last time we're going to talk about it. So let's let's end on an awesome note with this amazing arc that we have done, uh, you know, so far today, guys. We want to say a deep and true thank you to the cast and crew of Game of Thrones who made it, you know, the actors, the directors, even the writers, Benioff and Weiss, you know, they did their thing up until, you know, we didn't like it anymore. Still got to give them credit. But got to give credit to George R. Martin for bringing this even into our lives, you know, just the genius that he is and what he's created and everyone who kind of made it uh, as big as it got. And so we want to say thank you to the fans, thank you to the cast, the crew, the actors, the directors, the producers, editors, everything along the line and do you have anything else you want to add to that uh do you want to kind of tell them what we're doing next week just to kind of give them an uh, idea kind of thing uh yeah so next week guys what we're probably going to do is we're just going to do kind of a fun 
unscripted little uh, like hour long what we will call like the State of the Union, our mid season State of the Union, where we'll kind of talk about what we've come to expect, you know, as a podcast, things that kind of came up that you know we weren't expecting, and what we've learned and how we've grown from there. We'll talk about some of the new shows and movies and stuff we might be tackling in the future. We won't give a set time frame on it, but just to kind of kind of give you guys a little bit of an idea of what's going to happen from there, and then after our State of the Union. That's when we're gonna jump into Westeros and, and I'm sorry, Westworld. Westworld. Dude, I'm, I we're still got it on my mind. Out of Westeros, Just, yeah, jumping <laughs> yeah, out of Westeros, out of Westeros, and into Westworld, leaving this Game of Thrones uh, series behind until either uh, wins a winner pickup or the House of Dragon. Yeah, so, which will be pretty awesome. But yeah. I mean, it's gonna be. I mean, we've we've given it everything on this one, and um. You know, uh, what's great about next week is, like, we know these rewrite episodes can get a little long, so it's going to kind of give you guys a break yeah, for a little bit. For sure, you don't have to think. <laughs> so, yeah, so, yeah, and you'll kind of get fun. one of those fun, kind of more relaxed, yes. um, not so unscripted. lengthy, unscripted, you know, total Josh and Chase over here. Yeah. Um, but until then, you know, I think we've done this bad boy justice. For sure. I mean, today, what we covered, this has been the rewrite according to Josh. Uh, we always like to say it's been another ridiculous production. Factor Fantasy. Chase and Josh. Targaryen. Stark. Signing, signing off. off.